Hello and welcome to Kickout 299. I'm Alicia. My pronouns are she, her. Rachel, unfortunately, couldn't make the recording today, but I'm here with Captain Lou and Jason of Happy Wrestling Land. Lou, Jason, could you please introduce yourselves and tell everyone who you are, what you do, and where they can find you? Sure. Uh, hi, everyone. My legal name is Captain Lou. I am a writer, scientist, researcher, artist, sculptor uh, from the website happywrestlingland.com. Uh, today, I brought my partner in crime, Jason, and I don't want to spoil his introduction. So go ahead, Jason, introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. I am Jason. I am a temporarily uh, retired writer for Happy Wrestling Lad. Um, soon to return one day soon. Uh, you might see me on that website as Dum Dum Daniels, which is a, a name I took on a, a while ago that stuck, but you know, for, for, for ease of recording a podcast, my name is Jason today. So, uh, very happy to be here. Thank you for having uh, me and excited to talk about this, the show and, and all the discourse, uh, around it. That's correct. I'm super excited. We're able to have our own forbidden door. So that's that's what we're yes. doing today. We're here to talk about AEW and New Japan's forbidden door pay-per-view. We're really stoked to get into the build to the show, the matches that both did and, and didn't happen, and the AEW and New Japan products as a whole. So without further ado, let's just get right into it. Going into this, we had quite a stacked card. I'm going to read the card out. And um, just for starters, I'll read the zero hour stuff out, but we're not really going to cover zero hour, but just for the sake of reading them out, we had Mogul Embassy, which is Swerve Strickland, Toa Liana and Bishop Khan versus Rapongi Vice. That's Rocky Romero and Tremperetta and El Desperado. Then you had Athena versus Billy Starks in the first round of the Women's Owen Hart Cup Tournament. Then you had Stu Grayson versus El Fantasmo. And then you had United Empire, Jeff Cobb, Kyle Fletcher, and TJP versus Los and Gobernables de Japón. That's Shingo Takagi, Bushi, and Hiromu Takahashi. And then we had the main cards. That's MJF versus Hiroshi Tanahashi for the AEW World Title. CM Punk versus Satoshi Kojima in the first round of the Owen Hart Foundation 2023 Men's Tournament. Orange Cassidy versus Katsuri Shibata versus Zack Sabre Jr. versus Daniel Garcia for the AEW International title. Sonata versus Jungle Boy Jack Perry for the IWGP World Heavyweight title. Then you had Adam Page, Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson, and Eddie Kingston and Tomohiro Ishii versus Claudio Castagnoli, John Moxley, Wheeler Yuta, Konosuke Tateshita, and Shota Umino. Then you had Tony Storm versus Willow Nightingale for the AEW Women's World title match. Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay for the IWGP United States Heavyweight title. Uh, your co-main was Minoru Suzuki, Chris Jericho, and Sammy Guevara versus Tetsuya Naito, Darby Allen, and Sting. And your main event was Kazuchika Okada versus Brian Danielson. So quite a stacked card. I know me and Rachel um, and, you know, Lou, and I'm sure Jason, you are too. Like, we're, I think we're probably more used to the, the Perez companies that generally we have the entire card for a show, including the match order released at least like a week before it begins. But with Forbidden Door, there was 
Um, a lot of gaps on this card, quite literally until the night before the event. So this left a lot of speculation and like room, right, for what would actually be happening. So it, that kind of, um, there's like a void there instead of maybe a proper build towards some of these matches. And just, again, a lot of speculation around some of these matches, which leads to a lot of rumors. And we got a lot of that in the form of Kenta versus CM Punk. Oh, yeah. um which never made it onto the card <laughs> so before um i have a lot of thoughts about this and i think maybe um both of you do as well so i'd love for you guys to um lead us off and just tell me what you thought about what happened with kenta versus punk again this match never made it to the card but this dominated i think the discourse around forbidden door up until it was very clear it wasn't going to happen yeah the the build so the build of forbidden door and i remember this vividly from last year too now and and I, I will never speculate on all the the negotiations or, or, or lack thereof that go between, say, AEW and New Japan in the lead up to these things. But I remember last year, it was in Chicago, where I live, outside of, but still live. Um, and I, I, I was, like, leading up to the event, like, a week before the event, there were, like, three matches announced. And I was like, well, this is cool, but what's going on here? Then, of course, the week before, we get suddenly this just rush of, you know, six-man tags. And I remember, like, being, like, honestly, the most thing I was excited about was, like, that I'd see, like, uh, Yoshinobu Kanemaru live. <laughs> like, like just the random, like, undercard stuff more than whatever huge matches, you know, Tanahashi Moxley that they had lined up, etc. So, I guess, like, this year, the build, I was almost, like, expecting it. I was like, oh, here we go again, where, hey... The, they came out with two pretty big, you know, marquee matches, like, mm -hmm. okay. But right, that leaves so much room for like, well, one, you have the, okay, there's no build to this, which we can talk about that if there that's actually a thing. Then there's just like the, right, it leaves the opening for like speculation, like the CM Punk Kenta match. I honestly, and I will say this as a long time CM Punk fan who's had a difficult past year with him <laughs> as I think everyone has but as like I still didn't feel like that like all the stuff Kenta was doing with like give me the bag mm -hmm. I, I didn't think like the heat or whatever like the, the possibility of that match not happening I, I don't even it wasn't like I was excited for that match either but like as they were doing that I kind of just figured okay they're just building up a match I didn't think it wasn't happening until I'm watching Punk wrestle Kojima and I'm like, okay, maybe Punk is difficult enough <laughs> to where like, gee, Jesus, you know, Kenta's turning him down and being difficult. And, you know, Kojima by all accounts is this like, no one has a problem with Kojima. He's like the easy get, you know, just comes in, etc. So I wasn't surprised by the lack of build. It was just, it was, you know, it's a little disappointing. It, le it leads to some fun surprises. It also leads to awkwardness where you're like all right this punk kenta happening and then you just kind of get this random like okay let's make kojima versus punk sound really important in like two days um so clearly lots of thoughts about, <laughs> about <C -Punk. laughs> i don't have much to add outside of yeah, those those kenta tweets they, they there were just so many of them that for sure something was in the works at some point. Like he clearly would not have spent this much time just tweeting about this match 
if something wasn't going to happen. So it's weird that it took this weird turn. We get this Kojima match. Uh, Alicia, what was your read on the Kenta building up towards the match and it just not happening? Oh my God. You know, I've had to talk about this like into the void for so long because this podcast is only going to go into like, it's only going to be two years old this coming December. So that's a lot of years I've spent just kind of like, you know, talking essentially to myself about this situation, which feels a little bit endless, honestly. It's an old situation, right? Mm-hmm. Like this back and forth of of them is, is it's really old. There's some old as shit tweets that you can find of them going back and forth about this. So, and Jason shaking his head, because I think that he probably knows too, being a punk fan. Like this is this has been going on for a really long time. And I'm not surprised ever, you know, I did the more, I think, um, you know, the me thing. I went and did like a timeline of not just the the tweets and the comments and the back and forth of this round of nonsense. I went back to Kenta's like first tweet about all of this with Punk, which is from actually my birthday, 2021, August 20th. That's when Punk debuted for AEW and Kenta tweets, it's official, give me CM Punk. And that's kind of where all of this starts anew Mm. with Punk being signed to AEW. This has been going on a long time, just with, um, even if you remove like all the, the back stuff, just within AEW, it's not surprising to me that that Kenta has tweeted this way and has asked for this fight. Um, I, I think that other people's interpretations and confusion about why he has and why this has gone on so long without a fight, I, I don't know, know what the confusion is. Kenta has never actually been allowed to own the conversation around his own finisher. And you don't even have to make it about punk for that to be true, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that the, this this goes back to com, uh, comments that Kenta's made over the last couple of years about he he arrived in WWE, Punk wasn't there, right? Like they never crossed paths there. And yet when Kenta arrived um, and said, all right, well, why can't I use my finisher? Here we go. I'm here. I'm ready to use the go to sleep. They would never give him the answer of, well, well, here's why you can't. They would never give him that. And for him, I think a lot of it boiled down to that respect. No one would ever sit with him and tell him why and give him that respect. A lot of it boils down to respect. And I think that's sort of what this boils down. This also boils down to respect when you kind of look at the tweets um, in order from August uh, 20th, 2021, and then you go up through this. Um, a lot of it boils down to respect, right? Because he's talking about money in this mm-hmm. run. A lot of it is about money. And he wants to be offered the right amount of money because he doesn't need the fight. And I believe him. I don't think he needs the fight. Right? I love the, I, 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 give me the bag. I like Kenta, whatever you want to say about like how he's, he, he got, and adding on to during the WWE, the, that psychological battle, so I'm, I'm pointing to my shoulder. Like the guy was injured half the time. And I'm sure like getting, it's it's gonna mess with you. You're under their supervision, and right, like that. This right, the finisher stuff was weird since day one. Let like you always like I don't know me naive. I think oh you know CM Punk he's a he's a he's a nerd. He'll go ask you know Kenta for permission. You know he's he's gonna no. It, it's not how it works. It's just this you know back and forth. So yeah, I it's not surprised. It's just disappointing. <laughs> just yeah. overall, it sucks. Um, it but, does, yeah. you know. I think that what, for me, I don't ever want this match to happen. I, the thing is, I, like, I have two minds. I want Kenta to get paid whatever he wants. Like, I think Kenta should get paid. I think he should be treated with the respect that he deserves. 
um, that his legacy should dictate this point. Those are the things that I would love for Kenta. However, this match, no matter what, like let's say hypothetically it gets made, even if AEW or New Japan don't frame it as the G2S versus the GTS, the fans and wrestling media are going to make it that way. And that's the part, that's the part that grates on me because why should Kenta have to fight for ownership of something that is his he was a 23 year old in noah um during his trial series when he created the move and then debuted it against mitsuhara misawa and yet there are people who genuinely believe that he did not create this move and go to great lengths and will die on the hill to say that kenta did not create this move in defense of punk And, and again i can i don't think it's even necessarily about punk like the things that are bothering me so much about this build or this you know it didn't you know it was a build that led to nowhere I think a lot of what bothers me is the the reaction of the fans to this every time that never gets addressed, like these little things that pop up, but also these things that happened in um, the media that really bothered me. I want to point out a couple of things about this that I think are Im- important. Let me see here. I'm going through like, uh, so we had the the original narrative actually of this. It was reported that Punk did not really want to work with Kenta. The quote is he wasn't thrilled to work with Kenta, but that he had shot things in service of doing this match with Kenta. That was reported by Fightful and other dirt sheets that are on Twitter. Um, A few days later, then it was reported that, you know, the fight wasn't going to happen. And then by June 21st, Sean Ross Sapp is, you know, framing this as Kenta quote unquote pulled out of the fight right he used that framing of pulled out but if we look at the timeline of kenta's tweets during this entire quote-unquote build kenta is telegraphing this entire experience in a very clear way he wants money that's all he wants is to be paid what he thinks he's worth for the fight and he kept saying i'm not getting the bag they're not going to pay me i'm afraid they're not going to pay me so he's telegraphing this entire experience of AEW allegedly potentially not paying him what he thinks he deserves for this fight and yet Sean Ross Sapp fightful is saying Kenta quote unquote pulled out of the fight by June 21st but on the 17th Kenta said Kenta versus CM Punk is never going to happen so Kenta already said this fight's not happening right so I don't like that right I don't like that duplicitous wording of of right. you, you know, you can't pull out of something you never agreed to. And when this you read is, the tweets, this is wrestling, like, right? Yeah, this is. <laughs> but that's the thing is, this is wrestling, and I think that what's what I struggle with um, a lot in this is that, you know, if if he wants a million and AEW is only going to give him a dollar less than that for this fight, like, why should he accept that? And then, you know, like you just said, this is wrestling. Everyone seems to grasp the concept of wrestlers declining fights and telling management off and you know deciding their own destiny when it's figures they like. But then there's people intentionally not grasping this because they don't want Kenta to be a part of this conversation around his finisher. And this is, this is a historical issue with this, right? And there's also like a a little element of, I mean, think about where Punk ended up on the show too. The second match, it's, it's a throwaway, you know, like Kenta, you're making me, I'm going to go watch a lot of Kenta tonight. (laughs) Like, like, I think it like this, even if this match ever were to happen, which right. Why should I, I remember way back when uh, Kenta came in as Hideo Itami, the weirdest freaking start to a just most ominous start to a career. There was one episode of NXT. I'll, I remember this all back in college, all my friends are, are watching and he, he teases the GTS and we're like, Oh, and then they ran away from it. And it was like, never mentioned again. And it like, that's what, right. That Then this overtakes and like, it, it gets, 
stupid and awkward. But going back to like Kenta, why would it, amongst all the stuff, Punk's like third match back, all this BS with Punk that's going on. Like, what? Why? why yeah. Why, why? He doesn't need to fly to America for this shit. <laughs> No, probably not. And and Jason, you were at Collision. I want to bring up Collision because I want to kind of follow this track of um, of Kenta not being allowed to do like these certain these certain things that maybe Punk is allowed to do. You know, people love when someone like CM Punk knows his worth, right? So he's Uh unapologetic. He's outspoken. He tells that's right. He tells (laughs) management off. He talks his shit about other wrestlers, and you get the idea of where I'm going with this, but. So much so in his opening monologue on June 17th during Collision, he talks like this. He he notes to the crowd, you love me because I have never compromised. I've been unapologetic my entire career. What is the difference between CM Punk knowing his own worth and being beloved for it and Kenta knowing his own worth in declining this fight because they wouldn't pay him, right? If we can follow the logic of his tweets and everything else. But Kenta is ridiculed for it because now everyone is saying that, oh, Kenta fears CM Punk, blah, blah, blah. To me, the the core of this issue for me, the thing that has bothered me for years, there is an element of racism and unconscious bias in how people react to someone like Kenta standing up for himself compared to someone like Punk in this that never gets addressed by wrestling media, that doesn't get addressed by fans. But you can watch over and over again Kenta get dogpiled by people for doing the same thing, for knowing his worth. And he has to go up against someone like Punk who has right. currency that he'll never have because punk has the ability to to speak to people and move people through his skills as an orator right but he also has the power of nostalgia he holds the power of nostalgia across two very significant periods of american wrestling right the indies ring of honor but then also from his time in wwe and that's a very formative experience for people how yeah. a lot of people enter wrestling yeah. right so 55 <laughs> yeah. percent. he's a white guy with great Mike skills. He is all of this currency. Kenta is a five, six man of color. English is not his first language. And for a Western audience, many of them were introduced. And you, you, you touched on this. Many of them were introduced to him by his entry into NXT. And he's sterilized everything that already solidified him as a legend at like 35 years old. And this is purposeful because WWE does this to performers. They pick up from Japan, Mexico, and the Indies. They robbed him of his identity, his name, his music, and his finisher. And then oh. they refused to give him that response of why he couldn't use it. And they just, they changed him from who fucking Kenta was. And yeah. then you had to watch him have five shitty years. He was, he was a parody of like what Kenta is supposed to be. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. It was, it was, terrible, it all, terrible injuries. Sad art. Robbed him of time. So it's not, yeah. it's just, you have all these, this, these layered issues of why people react to the situation this way, but this is the core of it. And it just doesn't get addressed because you have people dogpiling um, on him. And then you have that very, this comes up a lot in AEW. And I think it'll come up maybe during our discourse for the rest of this card. Um, there's this very Westernized American way of viewing art and media and performers in the world in that you are no one if you haven't made it in the West, right? Made it in American media. So Kenta has to go up against punk and all of his currency, right? And then you know, here's Kenta. Kenta is just a... He has to fight against all of that to be heard about it in, like, discussions around his own finisher. And that that's bullshit, right? There's and an injustice to they that. Want. They don't want the mat. They want the... You're, you're a Japanese body who does the... G, who, who did the GTS. Like, that, and it's... Ha ha. You know, that, that's kind of, like, what... what I'll even, like, just going back to, like... And this is... We're going way back. But, like, my introduction into... So I start getting into Japanese wrestling... 
this is back, you know, way back 2000, 2001. And like, I'm, and I'm an obsessive, like I'm, I'm pulling like weekly new Japan TV, Noah TV. Then this guy punk <laughs> gets his hands around me because I start going to Indies. Cause, Cause that's, you know, my mind is opening to like, Oh, different types of wrestling. So you know, I'm this kid from the nineties that's watched WWE. Then I go to, I swear this has a point. <laughs> then, then I go to, you know, oh, wow, cool, Japanese wrestling. Then there's this independent wrestling that very quickly became this blend of like Japanese wrestling, Lucha Libre. Like they started bringing in all these other wrestlers. But like, yes, the, 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 what's it like a guy like Punk, like kind of like still took it as like, his kind of approach to it and I'm, I'm, it's very much hyperbole but it's just like yeah but we brought this here Let, like this this is ours so like the 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 shoot style I own that even though that's been done better at, at prior B- but so what you know what happened is like I actually stopped following Japanese wrestling Lucha Libre all this stuff because it becomes almost easier more accessible with CM Punk in the WWE and I can say mm. I have friends that did the same too where we're following along where we're like punks our hero because he's going to be the outlet to him and danielson he's going to be the outlet that's going to get us to something cool like forbidden door and now we come to forbidden door and it's like well yeah all this bs that's just rooting the fud of it what it should be um so yeah it just it's it's been a right this kenta punk stuff has been going on for too long but long way of saying like yeah i agree and it's like it's just like Kenta is not going to have a mic at Collision for for two hours to to brag about his friendship with the head of you know H Discovery Max. Like that's not how it works. He's he you know he's going to hustle for what what he needs to. Lou, what do you think? I I need to shut up. Yeah, just to <laughs> just to follow up. Excited I am to <laughs> Punk gets me going. I I was going to say on when you look at this card. A card headlined by Danielson versus Okada, which is such a dream match for a lot of wrestling fans of our generation, specifically. Kenta would be like a, the perfect guy for this kind of card because uh, like me and Jason, when we were getting into this Japanese wrestling stuff, he was our guy for yeah. such a long time. Like when we were getting into 2003, 2004, Noah I remember us like freaking out over the Kenta trial series where he's like fighting Takayama and Tenryu and he was our favorite for so long. And, and yeah, he would have been like symbolically perfect kind of guy for such a card and it sucks that it didn't happen, but uh, yeah, it just sucks. That it didn't happen. It's good. Symbolically. Yeah. It's just like, right. Like why did it have to, I am stuck at like, put him in even uh, just a six man you know like a bullet you know like a bullet club like just getting shown the love but right that he the build to forbidden door was a a, a patreon exclusive about him pulling out or some, some of the match like that pulling that, out that's pulling not out my wrestling big, yeah i don't quotes. that's not my wrestling <laughs> so not- let me ask you jason i'm excited because i um it's i just don't you both have actually been watching this more seriously than me for a lot longer and I also never really get to speak to people who actually watched punk the way that you have so let me ask you this Mm -hmm. what I have Mm -hmm. always really admired Seth Rollins for is that when he talks about the curb stomp he always talks about now Michimara Fuji by name 
to the point where in recent memory, there was a Fox sports segment and they were asking him like, well, how'd you come up with the curb stop? And he's like, oh, I didn't come up with it. I actually borrowed it from Namichi Marafuji. And they go into this whole thing where they show, they, they I don't know how they got the footage, but they showed Marafuji in Ring of Honor doing it during that period where Seth would have been watching him because Seth would have been there, right? Yep. And I've always really um, been very grateful to Seth for that because it gives people the ability to see Marafuji and see his name associated with that in a way that, I don't know that that's always happened with Punk and Kenta, but it's hard because there's always this veneer of you can't tell who's working. There's a little bit of a weird interview that has been passed around where Punk is asked, like, well, how'd you come up with the go to sleep? And he talks about it, but you cannot tell necessarily. He's like, well, I stole it off that of a guy from Noah in Japan. It's a very flippant way of, of him talking, but that's also how he talks. So I can't tell right. the context around that, right? Yeah. So I don't know. I guess my question to you is, do you think that keeping in mind of, of the way that Seth Rollins talks about Marafuji, which is always like with this layer of like, you can tell just a complete and total respect. Is yeah. there, has there ever been a moment in this sort of like timeline of things where you feel that, that there has been that moment between Punk and Kenta and the acknowledgement of the move? It, it happened, but it was too early in Punk's fame for it to matter. So I, I, know, I have all these vivid memories of like just reading that because like, right, I was plugged in. I, Kenta, Punk, like, right? Kenta's my guy. Then very quickly, Punk became my guy. And I know when he started using it, it was like mentioned. You had that like those initial, like those WWE.com kayfabe interviews or, you know, oh yeah, there's a guy named Kenta. You know, there's that era. Mm-hmm. But then there's whatever the hell happened in the last 20 years <laughs> where Punk became a multimillionaire. Kenta tried his hand at WWE and like just had a just under, like just bad run not even on him just like just the most the, just a depressing thing to watch I hate to say because I was such a huge fan and every time he even had like a decent match in WWE I get so excited because it was like we're finally kind of seeing it um where was I going with this but so no I, I, truthfully the punk of now I, I think punk this is my psychoanalyst uh, analyzing him a bit, but I think he would say he has opened the door to this type of wrestling that he doesn't necessarily need to call it out where the guys and going back, I, I hate to turn this into some racial thing, but like the guys that I hear punk always credit throughout time are the guys that he traveled with the Tracy smothers or like learn from. Harley Race is this, you know, who Harley Race has said some pretty vile shit. Like, like those are the guys that, um, gosh, I'm blanking up, but like the indie guys that like he came up with, those are kind of, you can tell like his cherished like heroes, whereas, whereas he's like, you know, I took everything from them. Uh, yeah, he's not crediting like Tenzin for just totally, you know, ripping the Anaconda Vice. Like he just took that <laughs> as soon as, uh, you know, like, I don't know, you know, right. What you said. It also, there's a part of that where that's his attitude, you know, kind of thing. But like for a guy that his essentially, essentially his entire moveset is a Japanese wrestling creator wrestler. (laughs) So like for a guy that is like that, you, right. You don't hear it, (laughs) hear much credit from that. It's more just like, yeah, I went, I read the role to Tracy Smothers and you know, that's how, that's what I guess I've normally heard from punk. Um, Mm -hmm. But the, the punk of post leaving WWE, I just feel, yeah, is a very just different person, what he values, who he's going to credit, et cetera. That's just, it's, yeah, it's a different thing. 
Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. It's um it's helpful for me. And um hopefully this has provided some different takes on uh this discourse and what you're maybe finding um on Twitter, which has been a, a complete and total cesspool. But <laughs> maybe we should get into the car because I think Captain Lou is bored of our of our wrestling discourse. He's ready for oh Lou, Lou, Lou wrestling. Loves hearing me talk about CM Punk. He- <laughs> I'm the number one discourse guy. Uh, don't worry. Yeah, how's uh? Let's let's talk about MJF. What? <laughs> please, I actually no. some I have some build to get into for this match oh, provided by Rachel. Yeah, before we jump into all of our 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 hot takes here. So last year at Forbidden Door, Hiroshi Tanahashi was originally slated to face off against naturally CM Punk for the AEW title. However, Punk was pulled from that event after an injury and a tournament was held to fill the vacancy. And that's just, you know, how Tony Khan operates. But the finals came down to Tanahashi and John Moxley, in which Moxley was victorious. And then Tanahashi made this challenger, or this challenge is something of revenge, issuing the challenge to um, current champion MJF. So that's really interesting. This match ended up opening the show, which was made as a kayfabe decision by none other than MJF himself. Um, with him requesting it became the first match so that he would not have to sit around watching AEW talent fight the second-rate indie talent of New Japan. In fact, most of this match was about MJF going on record that he saw New Japan as nothing more than a rinky-dink indie and wanted to refuse the match, going so far as to say that he would skip the event to attend a softball game. Um, Tanahashi, to his credit, called the champion MJD, on accident, which I thought was actually very funny of him. And um, he wanted to um, show MJF the strength, tradition, and experience of New Japan. And that when he was done, the only letters worth remembering would be A-C-E. Very clever promo from the ace. He's always very good at that type of stuff. So a lot of fans were super eager to call this match, quote unquote, long-term storytelling. Um, as MJF has stated multiple times that he, that he did not like New Japan and thought that they were beneath him. Um, and so a confrontation with the ace of, of New Japan um, seemed inevitable, right? So I'm curious um, what you guys think about what MJF was doing here as quote unquote, long-term storytelling. I have a pretty strong opinion about this, but I, I want to throw it to you guys first. I'm yeah. I'm not sure I would see it as long-term storytelling here. Uh, it seemed to me more like MJF just being MJF. If you throw MJF in a situation with new Japan, that just sounds like a classic basic kind of MJF response. Like, I'm not sure if there was this whole, like, long-term uh, thing going on. Uh, what what do you think? Of, do you think there was something more to it, uh, Jason? No, I think it's it was hacky. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the, the the approach. And, yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, as you were running through that there was a tournament to get to challenge MGF, I was thinking, man, yeah, that calls to like how questionable the build for forbidden door is sometimes because mm-hmm. it's like we're i totally forgot about that tournament to be <laughs> um i don't here's the, if, if this is long-term t- storytelling i don't know why you'd open the show with it uh but it didn't feel like that big of a match to what's long-term storytelling wrestling there, there's there's the story they're actually trying to tell and then there's like the long-term like i guess arc or like you know the and, and in, in in that sense Sure, MJF going up against a Japanese legend, like there, there's something to that. But I, I mean, yeah, we can get into it. But like, arguably, I'm not sure if both guys are capable of completely selling that like point and having that match. But yeah, it. it but yeah, just the the New Japan's an indie. I don't know. It just, I, you know, I, I, I get it. But I think I, I remember. Who are you making mad? Like, who's getting? Like, who's getting? Like, where's the like? 
I, I'm just, over here. I'm just kind of like, ha ha, like laughing. Like who's actually like getting mad at it? And if, and if you are like, if you're getting someone mad about, you know, Claudia and Japan and Indy, they're probably not going to then order the show. Like, so I, I just, yeah. Hacky. <laughs> yeah. Great points. I, I think I'm kind of with you. I can't consider something like this long-term storytelling because to me, it's just a line. It's like an overused yeah. line. Right. I think we saw this between what was it? Okada. And I don't know if he said it to anyone specifically, but it was when they were doing the first New Japan versus Noah show maybe two years ago now. He said that Noah was like the Junior Olympics or something. Mm-hmm. And yes. it's like, yes. sure, you're, you're the bigger company, but like, it's very difficult. Like it's, and you have to laugh. I love Okada. So like, it didn't upset me at all, but like, you have to laugh at it because it's so silly. You can't take it seriously because Noah has its own culture and history. And like, it's almost like comparing apples to oranges. So I can't get upset or mad about, again, a line like that. I don't consider that um, storytelling. I'm going to get into this too. When we talk about uh, Jungle Jack, Jerry, whatever his name is, and Sonata later on in the card, but there was a lot of, I think, um, of these lines um, that were kind of thrown back and forth that people were trying to treat as like like story. It's like, no, no, these are just lines because they don't really know what to say to each other because they never mm-hmm. see each other. That's it. it. Hacky. Like, it's just it's it's a promo. And in some way, it's it's a little like lazy. Like, I, I mean, Danielson coming up with whatever line he did with Okada, the I'm going to make, you know, you're not the oh, rainmaker. Cool. It's going to be oh, a desert. OK, cool. that's a line. But yeah. yeah, yeah, you're a second-rate company. I'm super excited for this match. That like, I, <laughs> I, yeah. Well, that being said, tell me what you guys actually um, thought of this match because this one actually surprised me and how I ended up feeling about it. It was, uh, yeah, it was all right. It was all right. It was all right. Uh, it's the kind of match where you're you're watching it and you're sort of worried about the state of Tanahashi. But I guess that's been his thing for like uh, the past five years. It's almost like a gimmick now where he makes you really worried about him. And that just me, to me, that just means he's a great baby face. Like you're just, you just want him to win. You're worried he's he's going to cripple himself on the high fly flow attempts. Um, and I guess they had the only kind of match they could have had in this situation, which is sort of a, the kind of Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan tribute smoke and mirrors match. Uh, no, and, one, but but, but Ta- Tanahashi pulled it off. He did like the, the hulking up and crowd got behind him. And like stylistically, it it worked. Like it wasn't like the greatest match ever or like a peak Tanahashi match, but it worked for what it was. I had, fu- I had fun. I, I, it goes back to like, if you're going to call like New Japan and Indy, maybe put MJF against a guy who can like really like, and believe me, Tanashi is one of my favorites ever, but like maybe someone who could, you know, blow people's minds a little bit, you know, kick MJF out a little bit more, but like, I, I you know, it, exactly. Like I had, it was like a good, like NWA undercard match. <laughs> like it, it was fun. I enjoyed myself, but yeah, we move on. <laughs> that's my, that's just. <laughs> I actually really like this and I like I was ready to bury it because I don't love um I don't love MJF his like his some actually here's the thing sometimes his style of like his delivery I really like like he has a nice like voice in the way that he can deliver something he called um 
Darby Allen, like a little emo bitch recently. And the way he delivered that, like popped me so good. Oh, he like he has like that perfect, sometimes it's always sunny sort of delivery on something that like really speaks to me. But then there's, and like when he called Tony Khan a fucking Mark, I didn't believe any of that. I thought that was a whole bit and it was, but like that to me was really funny. It popped me. I don't know if you were supposed to laugh at that, but I thought it was funny. So <laughs> I think about that a lot, actually. So there's these little moments with him. Otherwise, as a whole, I don't get him. And I find some things that come out of his mouth, like genuinely offensive. So I really didn't think that this was going to be good for for me. And also, um, there's like a part where Tanahashi, I think, is doing a Boston Crab. And I did not realize that he can't bend at all anymore. And like, that was weird. I just saw him in D.C. I did the D.C. Philly run um, with uh, New Japan for Kenta naturally, if I didn't reveal myself to be a Kenta fan at the beginning of this. But um. I did that and like Tanahashi broke his ribs in DC doing fuck all because like they didn't like he wrestled a match with Okada that first night in DC. They wrestled for about 30 seconds and he broke a rib. So like I just I'm very worried about him. But this match as a whole, I actually really liked it <laughs> because like I struggle with um I don't watch a lot of AEW only because well not only but partly because the way they do the camera work fucks me up. It it's hard for my ADHD. It's hard for the fact that sometimes, and I'll talk about this in the next match, they cut to things that don't make sense. And then you lose the shot. And that is like, it makes me irate. And I start to just flip out. But this like had me engrossed. Like once I got through the first annoying ref bump, I was pretty engrossed in this. Like I was like, like actively watching and not like kind of all over the place. So I thought it was a good opener. I actually like really enjoyed it. But I think like, a lot of that is a testament to Tanahashi, someone that follows me on Twitter. I'm going to forget their name message was messaging me back and forth, like towards the end. It was during a really long match towards the end. And they mentioned that like he benefits MJF from some of these like bigger legends that have come in to fight him. And I, this, I could probably agree with that. I think Tanahashi like did a good job of like kind of being the backbone of, of this match throughout. They, so, yeah, they meshed. Like you can tell like for, for all of his promo work and lead up, MJF does, you know, he respects obviously Tanahashi, but like just Japanese wrestling as a whole, you could see him, you could, in a good way, trying so hard to make the match work and doing everything he could. I mean, contrary then, Tanahashi is one of like, he's very just like kind of NWA pilled, like like with the way he wrestles, very like, te- you know, technical. He's one of those like, we're going back to Carl Gatch, whatever, but like, that also helped out MJF because he wasn't like throwing, he wasn't a guy from New Japan, you know, it wasn't like Shingo, like just going over <laughs> to MJF. It was like kind of just a, yeah, a good, solid, classic match. So, yeah, it was, it was fun. I agree about the camera work. I, I, I sometimes I, my ADHD just will cause me just like glaze over as I'm watching AEW shows because I'm just like, well, yeah, there's some dynamites I haven't uh, fully followed <laughs> for that reason. <laughs> But. I can't watch I can't watch Dynamites for this like and it sucks because like I want to watch a little more of them because I really like uh like I really really like we'll talk about it later I like um Blackpool Combat Club a lot I would watch a little bit more um for that but yeah. the camera work and the whole picture in picture commercial fucking thing uh, that it's... is the thing that destroys me for my ADHD I, I'm gone like and I can't get uh, back into it so right huge struggle but... for me 
with also if, if you're used to japanese wrestling it's 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 a it's struggle <laughs> it's right it's, it's that like once you, you know, um <laughs> you know you start with um most of us start with like like something like wwe like whatever like, you know you start with that and then once you get back or once you find rather japanese wrestling and it's shot more like uh oh, yeah you know live uh, sports whatever yeah, you sports. can't go back you can't because it becomes when you go to back to like aew wwe nxt it looks too theatrical and i, I have polluted my brain with so much like just wwe throughout the years that like I, I i hate it but like i also am just like this is just the way it is <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm just, like i don't know like i'm just like i i can barely like wa- even watch it like for more than you know 20 seconds without turning away but I'm just like, yeah. Um, I also think that's why AEW maybe doesn't throw me off as much because, yeah, WWE has just messed my brain up so much. That's <laughs> anyway. Oh my God. So let's actually get into the second match because this is where I think you guys will have lots and lots of thoughts. I know, Lou, I, I caught your tweet about this one. So we've already talked yeah. about CM Punk, but we didn't actually get into his match yet. So like we've been discussing, CM Punk versus Satoshi Kojima. This is the first round of the Owen Hart Foundation 2023 men's tournament. So you guys take it away. Tell me how you thought um, this match went, how you thought of Kojima, his reception in Canada, et cetera, et cetera. Loved it. I love this match a lot. Uh, as as he established in the last few years, you know, CM Punk, he might be a bit of a real-life psychopath-leaning kind of guy. Uh, and unfortunately, that makes for a really good natural heel in wrestling. And that's what he was here. He was just a really good brick kind of heel uh, doing Tenzan moves on Kojima and sh- shouting out uh, RF yeah. shoot interviews yeah. from 2004. Homicide uh, man, just he, he's unhinged. He's a he's a crazy guy, but it makes for uh, for good heel wrestling. And Kojima was super fucking good here. He was really what is he? Kojima was like the best worker on the show. Man. He was he was really he was really good, and it made me. When you put him back to back with Tanahashi, it made me more worried about Tanahashi because right? Kojima he looked in such good shape, and I I really enjoyed it. It was exactly what it needed to be, and uh, yeah, just shockingly good. Yeah, <laughs> um, same. I liked it for for all the all the trash I talked about. Punk giving credit to Japanese wrestling, the man knows how to wrestle like pace a, a match like it was on a show filled with guys from japan I, to me maybe other than like the main event this felt the most like just like classically like i don't know just like pro wrestling like, like just like the style of match the back and forth the very like they didn't do anything too complicated but th- they were just struggling the whole time you know, kojima drops the elbow on the balls like they do the whole like it was just uh and that felt like what you know as much fun was made of that like felt like a nice natural like this is they're fighting this is chaos this stuff happens um i was shocked how like i I, i'm a punk fan i I, he's only he's been back from injury for for just a few matches i'm a kojima fan i was still blown away i was like where did this match come from (laughs) um maybe if it happened later in the card might have a different tune but for like that second match, I thought they nailed it. I, I wish, but and like, who is Satoshi Kojima? 
how is this man still doing this? <laughs> like that's I yeah. I think but, because New Japan had him on the bench for years and it's only been in the last like what go. Lou like what would you say like a year a year and a half like when did he even two like, years max uh, yeah. max two years yeah it's only two years that he's really started to kind of like actually be used because he started to come over to Noah and then we can't fucking get rid of him over at all Japan so like it's just um <laughs> it's just it's astounding but like that's why he can I guess that's why he can go uh, yeah in comparison to Tanahashi it's just it's illuminating but um I thought what was interesting for me was, you know, having seen Collision and that crowd obviously was like living and breathing with punk, right? This Canadian crowd doesn't give a fuck about him, which is fascinating. So they, they don't care about him. So I thought what was fascinating was the, um, the beginning of the match was really to me, punk, not even necessarily fighting Kojima. He's fighting with the crowd, which was interesting. Also that helped, right? Like Kojima, obviously Kojima like crushed it, but like, right. Him baby face. It just like, right. It was this weird mix of like, everything just worked. The crowd was super into it, even though they were hating on punk, they were, it still like gave the match like noise the whole time. So yeah, it was yeah. electric. The uh, the amazing irony of CM Punk, the the ultimate Bret Hart fan, is that he's literally turning into ninety seven Bret Hart, where he's gonna be only cheered in Chicago probably, and have these like either eel or tweener reactions like everywhere else. Uh, well, even at Collision, I mean, I'll say it was still ninety five five. <laughs> but that's like, a pretty that ratio like, although but i will like the vibe like it wasn't like when he came obviously when he came back that was a whole other thing like covid was just ending ending but like it, like when he came back like the summer of 2021 like that was the first time out for a lot of people and like that was just this cathartic insane thing and then this promo he does like right everyone loved him lived and breathed with them and then he goes on this victory tour and then um yeah he calls out Marsha Cabana and does the whole thing so but then we come back to collision and that promo I'm sitting there was not people were cheering him but they weren't like into him it was like when he called himself one bill Phil it was just like who who are you <laughs> like what it's you- embarrassing how long it took me to understand what one bill Phil even meant that took I, me a I, while actually I'm embarrassed that I knew what it meant <laughs> I'm like, why are you bragging about hanging out with the Warner Brothers guy? Firing all like these cartoonists, like what? Like it just what I've always liked, and hopefully this is the last time we talk about punk on this on this podcast. Like what he we were, I was always a fan of was right speaking, like you know, truth to power. Like he he got it, you know, he he spoke up against power. I'm not even mad that like he's speaking like say with power like like i'm more it's just he used to be able to read the room and i i I, especially the last like like well obviously since brawl out but like just even like in the lead up to that when he was doing the whole thing with hangman page he wasn't reading the room and that's like that's what's kind of taken away and that's why you're getting right like booze but still awesome match i don't know i still (laughs) it's a great match if you enjoyed this match Enjoy the match. I'll say two things about Punk before we stop talking about him. <laughs> it is worth it to go back to um, the brawl out era. Look at Kenta's tweets from the two days during that brawl out era. They are the most like 
they break the mold of how he has tweeted about punk and it's very illuminating go back and look at them interesting or just or just dm me because i have the timelines there's that number two study the collision monologue the collision it's gonna be called that one day the collision monologue (laughs) study the collision (laughs) monologue because i think it's fascinating that he has the ability to talk about himself with the full awareness uh and if you listen to WrestleNomics, they have this all, like the stats and everything. Um, he is a certifiable draw for, and I hate using that word, but he is a certifiable draw for AEW, right? He makes him a shitload of money and gets him a shitload of views. And it's there's no denying that. You can't take that away from him. But he has the ability to talk out of both sides of his mouth. On one hand, he knows he is the king. He knows that he is a star, right? And then on the other side, he also paints himself out to be a victim. I'm not casting aspersions. I just want you guys to go back and listen to it and really think about what he does because it's very very interesting that's all i'm gonna say tell me when i'm tell- telling lies <laughs> don't yeah. say it don't yeah. say it. <laughs> <laughs> tell me when i'm telling lies with that no, being said we're gonna move into a match where us uh, the champion tells lies but in a much more charming way um let's go to the four way so this is yes. actually rachel's personal favorite match on the card and i think it would probably be my favorite if the drama of the main event didn't like suck me in right so we have orange cassidy versus katsuri shibata versus zach saber jr versus daniel garcia so a couple things before we kind of get into some thoughts here orange has apparently had 24 defenses with his AEW um international title which is like bananas he finds himself in like predicament after predicament and then he manages to get like out of these different predicaments at the cost of his body you can see that he had a lot of tape on his neck and back during this match so and he's in another pickle now right he's got to deal with the roh pure champion shibata the iwgp tv champion zach saber jr and then daniel garcia might still be pwg champion but it's hard to say so we're just going to assume that he might still be because he talked about being a double champion or wanting to be a double champion so we're going to go with that so that's sort of our build here what did you guys think of this four-way match super cool really cool match daniel garcia i used to watch this guy on canadian indies in like 2019 or something and now he's the crazy dancing sports entertainer guy and I kind of love it. It's, it's, it really makes me laugh a lot. Outside of that, I I think it's really cool that Katsuyori Shibata is so into working with Orange Cassidy. Like that's the greatest thing ever. ever. If you if you're a an Orange Cassidy hater, this should make you reconsider. Like reconsider your position. Zack Saber Jr. was awesome here. He, I hadn't seen him in a while because I'm an occasional New Japan viewer right now. Uh, he killed it. Yeah, the match was awesome. Just nonstop, fun, dancing, submissions, Jibata, <laughs> Orange, just the whole deal. I was ready. To, I have my little notes for my, my review that will come out like next year or something. And I like, the first part of the match, I was worried. I was like, is the four-way like set up gonna work for these guys in particular I, like I, all four some of the greatest like right now technical wrestlers but like it's one-on-one you know how are they gonna like and then like my review quickly goes like i'm going insane for the finish because then they got it to after like the first you know few minutes i was like oh i see what they're doing and then exactly they're just throwing it they're they're doing a dancing they're, <laughs> they're the high spots technical just, just good clever spots 
Orange's, or yeah, I put down Garcia's tornado DDT bump was insane. Just, um, just an awesome match. Uh, yeah, another fun one. <laughs> yeah, this one was this one was kind of killer. It was it was it was a lot of fun. And I'm with like Lou. Like I I'm obsessed with Orange Cassidy and like Shibata's relationship. Like what it says about like both of them that they like just meet somewhere in the middle. I my most problematic like Kenta fan I think uh, take is that I don't really give a shit about the takeover at all. Mm. So <laughs> like, no. at all. I don't I don't know if I do either to be honest now that I'm, I'm thinking about it live, but go on yeah so good I'm glad that I found you Jason because yeah. most people get mad at me when I say that so I'm not a huge takeover fan but I think the true soulmates in wrestling as we've seen here are somehow Orange Cassidy and Katsuyori Shibata that to me soulmates that's what I think we got out of this like I loved that I could have had like 10 more minutes of just them kind of going at it because like that was so fucking cool. They were just fun. And I also thought that this match, ugh, Zack Sabre Jr. Sometimes I really, 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 really like him. And it's against usually certain guys. And sorry to keep saying his name, but I usually like him against people like Kenta. But my, it, my, my, the thing about this match that I think worked really well for Zack Sabre Jr., it hid all the shit that I fucking hate about him because he was not able to do all the stupid things in submissions that don't make any sense and that True, like break. Yeah, yeah, like he couldn't do any of that because they were moving so fast from like thing to thing. He actually had to do somehow better grappling than he normally does within the confines of this match. And that like worked super well. Like he looked so much better to me than he normally looks because he couldn't fuck around with like how long like he I don't know he does all these like weird things that don't make any sense to me so yeah, like yeah yeah this 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 like worked that, like, for the guy that's drugged out like yeah, just, yeah, like just all those weird like spins he does off their body to yeah. go from like the arm to the leg and it's like if this was like a, a real match like you would get the fucking shit yeah, out of like, you it we, doesn't make we, any we, sense yeah we get it dude we get yeah. it <laughs> it doesn't and ugh, he's also the worst culprit of like shoulders back like flat to the mat and he's only being saved by the fact the ref isn't counting knowing they can't count right now right. can't stand that but this match hid those little problematic parts of his like move set for me and that made it like 20 times more enjoyable and then you get like daniel garcia who i like i guess i haven't seen him in a while i can't remember the last time i've seen him beyond like when i was actually at my only live aew experience to date which was to see like one big bald man in akiyama and I I saw him there, but I don't remember him doing the hip thrusting. So that was like really crazy to me. But That's it was yeah. it was great. I think I thought like I, I was fascinated by it. So um yeah, I, I can't like speak like more highly of this match. Like if you were to like pick like like a handful of matches to watch, this would I think easily be one of them off this card. Yeah. A term I wrote down was it was a shoot spot fest. Which I'm not sure if that means something or not, but <laughs> I I enjoyed it very much. Excellent. So let's move into um, another title match here. We're going to talk about Sonata versus Jungle Boy Jack Perry. So very simple build here to this match. Sonata issued an open challenge for, and this was very late in the game. Sonata issued an open challenge for anyone to challenge for his IWGP World Heavyweight title. He was unimpressed by the challenger um, because he didn't know anything about Jungle Boy <laughs> um, and claimed that he didn't know who he was and never seen his matches, whatever. And Jungle Boy, I think, actually said the same thing that he had like never seen a Sonata match. And that's my thing about, you know, lines, a lot of lines on the show. It's like in 2023, I just can't believe that either of you have never 
hacky. Heard of each other. Very, very <laughs> hacky, but they don't, they don't see each other or really whatever. So it doesn't matter. But anyway, that's pretty much all we have for the build here. So what did you guys think of the match itself? It was fine. Fine. I guess it wasn't, there was nothing bad about it. I mean, jungle boy, maybe isn't the greatest wrestler ever. <laughs> um, but also, I can't fully write him off because of his 90210 lineage. <laughs> like, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. His bloodline is too strong. Yeah, it's too strong. A lot of strong uh, bloodlines in this match, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, true. I, I, <laughs> I was I was trash talking this match during it to Lou. I like That's what me and Rachel were doing to each other. <laughs> like it's one of those like it's just it's a three point two five star match. But like that sounds generous. I I know like exactly like it, it was like <laughs> it was fine. Did they do anything wrong? No. Did they do anything right? I don't know. Like it was just it was okay. It was two pretty boys having a match that like nobody like really cared about <laughs> i don't know like but it was still like it had enough like crazy stuff to be like you know get by i guess that's fair i, I thought that the one good thing is that like this is and this really impressed me too when i when i was doing the dc philly loop for new japan like people were so stoked to see Sonata. That was like his first American appearance is holding um the, the title, right? And people like po- people popped like for him like both both shows and it was awesome. And people did that here. Like people popped pretty hard when Sonata came out. Um and people were reacting for him pretty much the entire match. He had way more like reactions from the crowd than Jungle Jack or whatever we're calling him now. I keep trying mm-hmm. to call him whatever what Dan Panhausen was calling him. So yeah, yeah. yeah so whatever so I thought that was great for you know I'm, I'm a much 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 bigger Sonata fan so whatever but I've seen Jungle Boy live maybe once but he wasn't like an AEW yet this is this was like when the first LuchaCon happened in Vegas so that was like a million years ago now but he just looked like a little indie boy then and he looks like he's not improved since and I was really surprised by that because it just looks like it's like what have you been doing this whole time like you don't look <laughs> no, that's like fair. you've improved AEW has like I get pretty deliberately put him in like a big pay-per-view match like every cycle he does get like something like there was the Christian Cage false count anywhere Luchasaurus cage match and like he gets put in the right spots again this arguably was another well big spot but right it's like I could anybody else just be in this exact same spot and have maybe the like the exact same match uh, right like I think that was like the issue with the, even the Sonata match, it just kind of felt like something I could see on the undercard of like a PWG show, which like I fun. I, I enjoy that, but like it's for the IWGP world heavyweight championship. Right. So, did, and like, yeah. I keep forgetting it was even the title was even on the line. Right, because right. There was, there was zero urgency. Jungle Jack wasn't wrestling. Like he was wrestling for a, a world title on that level. It just, it. Right. I thought he was very slow and very clunky. And I was super surprised that in the time between when I saw him at <laughs> LuchaCon of all places to now he's not improved. And then um, really like, you know, I think what was probably the more interesting thing, but maybe more interesting if he had a better match. Um, there was an angle after this one, an AEW angle. He betrayed his jungle hook partner hook. I actually really like hook, but this mostly served to take Taz 
from the commentary <laughs> table for the rest of the night. He like stormed off, which popped me super hard. Oh, and speaking of commentary during this match, there was an issue with Kevin Kelly of New Japan trying to call Sonata's swing while the other two were trying to call two different incorrect moves oh on God. top of Kevin Kelly, which blew my mind. So there was a lot going on here, but I don't know if you guys, do you have any thoughts on this um, this angle? Does this make you like feel very compelled to watch what happens to Jungle Jack from here? Do you have any feelings about Hook? I will just say I think the angle got a bigger reaction than anything in the match. <laughs> and it was... It was well done. Taz, that popped me. I popped Lou. I remember you going crazy. Like th- that, that was all well done. Um, do, but I get like, that's the AEW thing. Do I have, where's this going to go next? You know, we'll get a follow up in a couple of weeks. I don't know. You know, it's like, am I excited for Jungle Boy versus Hook? Uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. You know, it's debatable. But in the moment, I, I mean, how they did it, Taz going crazy, like, it was a it was a well done angle on its own. It's just like right. Why would you have the match? I don't know. Just the, the the match just felt even more like lukewarm after that because it was yeah, yeah. It was all Taz. Taz made this whole <laughs> right, thing. Here we go. This man oh, has tweeted about this. Yeah, his his acting skills are just second to none. He's just he's amazing. I he's one of those guys. I I mean he's fun in commentary. I wish they did more like angles with him. Yeah, yes. Sell it. He did one with uh when he turned on Cody Rhodes or something like early early AEW where just his acting like I was like I shouldn't be this compelled by acting, but like here's Taz just yeah. So good job Taz. He he is he is a character that's for sure. Yes, what, what, what a wrestling's classic character. <laughs> that, that is true. Um, Rachel has some pretty good notes here too, just to finish up this part of the card. Um, so this there was a lot of more AEW centric angles right to this card. Um, so you had this, but you also had um, Cole versus Tom Lawler. Adam Cole was scheduled yeah. for this, but they had to cancel it because Adam Cole wasn't cleared. And this was supposed to be set up, I guess, for Adam Cole as a future challenger for MJF. Um, that they made it into this whole thing of MJF hiring Team Filthy to take Cole out. And so they kind of spun it into a way that sort of works for them, whatever. And I guess Rachel's questions for us are, do you think that this focus on AEW storylines was an issue or are we kind of okay with this because the audience here is very AEW centric? I think they, like, I, I, I guess uh, on paper, I'm okay with them using like an AEW storyline to get here. But I don't know, the Filthy Tom Lawler Right, like that's AEW tries to do too many things at once. We're like, you can't do an AEW angle to introduce a new Japan guy. That that's that's where like even you know my wrestling pill brain goes. What's what are we doing? And that was another classic. Like we got to get to this match. Let's come up with something quick to to get this in. Even the angle felt sudden. The match not being on the card didn't feel like it was missing anything. I, I it just like I. I can, there's a part, I can appreciate the thought behind using AEW like angles to set something up, but also that speaks to that. There's no like Japanese dream match for Adam Cole. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, like he, he's not getting Sonata. I don't know. He, so, he had no heat when he was in Japan. So they're not giving him anybody from Japan. <laughs> seriously. And it, well, I, I not fondly, but remember a couple ring of honor title matches that he had in the Tokyo Dome that were just like, sorry man garbage. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're, you're all trying but yeah so that <laughs> um so yeah that 
I, I was not disappointed that that I was actually a little happy that I thought got canceled. A lot of stuff like it was going to shorten the card a little bit. Hey, look at this. Um, yeah, Blue. Any thought outs on the same exact same? Yeah. Same. I think my my thought here, and this is, we were kind of alluding to this earlier, but I don't know why there was such discourse around there needing to be like just. Of course, if you are going to have some angle, it's going to be more AEW centric. That's your primary audience. I don't know why people needed to see such like storyline and angles between New Japan and AEW. Yes. These guys are not going to see each other now for like an entire year unless right. there's going to be like little pops of like, you know, we're going to talk about Eddie going over to the N1 and like things like that. Right. But I don't think like, do you think that like Tenru was fucking bothered by people about story when he had to go fight like uh, Macho Man? No, I don't think so because it's just a, it's just a, like a like a dream match on a card we're doing once. I don't think Tenru was bothered about this, so I don't know why we have to like. What are we gonna walk around backstage and bother Sonata? Like, what's your story with Jungle Jack? He doesn't have one. He's not thinking about one, and I think that's okay because they're just supposed to, I think, be dream matches like we don't need yes. a reason to want to see brian and, and okada do we no so it's just a dream blessed. match it's 100 it's the, and that's right talking about the build-up also like well ideally you announce these matches maybe more than two weeks before the show but like right and that's the, part of the problem like, you're seeing who the best against the best is right exactly like i definitely didn't i can understand why tony khan would say let's you know insert tom lawler and Royce Isaacs into into this MJF feud, but also like no, just say that the match is happening. That's the build. The build is the title. <laughs> the build is Forbidden Door. <laughs> the build is like the names the, of the of the, the wrestlers because it's <laughs> the door. The build is the door, <laughs> and that's right. it. Right. We're like, building a door, and the door's and gonna open, and that's it. So long story short, yeah, actually, no, no angles were necessary. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. We're just wrestling. I yep. think people are confused a little bit because there's been a lot of angles on like um a card like all together again. But these people have like the the way that like their their careers and their relationships have sort of like intermingled with each other, like that is so different than like these guys all the way over in America who never get to see the guys all the way over in Japan. And that like just just let it be a superstar yep. card. We don't yep. need to debate about story, just like that you got a huge main event. Relax. Oh my God. Anyway. 100, no, 100%. You know what though? So I was going to say 10. Okay. So 10 Ryu. And this, this is, this is an American wrestling problem. It is. 10 Ryu didn't care that about the, like that he needed an angle. He knew I'm the best. I'm wrestling the Macho Man. But you know who cared? Vince McMahon. That, <laughs> and he said, we, we need, cause I, I just looked this up. I was like, something had to happen. And there was an angle where 10 Ryu was hired uh, as a, a mercenary by Mr. Fuji to attack the Undertaker. There's always something stupid that has to happen with this stuff, even though, and, and you know what? That that happened because that was building up to a WrestleMania, whereas uh -huh. Tokyo Dome show where Tendry would match or, you know, the SWS, right? They're just talking shit in newspapers because they know what's going on. Like, we're just, we're wrestling, but right. So, yeah, I guess- Thank you for looking that up. Now. That's fascinating and also horrifying. This right, also speaks exactly. to- Chris Hero, he called he called like WWE wrestling like that is a like it's a morality play, right? Yep, yep. That is what it is. That's uh, why you, you have to see it the Vince, way that it is. No matter what, and yeah, I mean, not much to say about McMahon, but like 
no matter what, like he could say, you know, Tenru, Japanese legend, but no, he needs something. You need something else. You need, a, you need another, another angle. He's a cyborg. He's something. You just need something else. It's always something extra. Utterly fascinating. We are learning so much tonight. Incredible. Okay. So here we go. We're going to move into the next match. We're going to talk about the elite versus Blackpool combat club. So just for some background on this, uh, we had BCC and the elite. They've got this back and forth going on for months to determine who is the more dominant stable in AEW and their altercations becoming increasingly more violent and dramatic. Uh, They faced off a month ago at double or nothing in an anarchy in the arena match, which I thought that already happened. So the fact that it only happened a month ago, I thought this happened like months and months ago. But anyway, BCC came out on top in part thanks to Kanosuke Takeshita shockingly turning against Kenny Omega with the help of Don Callis. So this helps us to this match with a lot of bad blood brewing between the two parties. And there's a lot of like history in this match between the different people in it, right? With Moxley, Ishii, Kingston, and Claudio all having these different connections to each other. So... We also mentioned before, Eddie is going to participate in his first G1 Climax starting in July. So if you guys have any thoughts on that, would absolutely love to hear it. Um, And then, like I said about Takeshita, since Double or Nothing, he's been showing off like a darker, cooler side of himself than we are like used to, I think, Mm -hmm. in DDT. He's been using his Osaka dialect again and like rougher, these rougher sounding syllables. And it comes across as him sounding like super tough and badass and just not the way that we've heard him sound um, in DDT. So that's really cool. Um, it's making, I think, some people who are uh, a fan of the wholesome cinnamon bun loving baby face um, a little disappointed um, as he's completely turned away from, you know, the elite and Kenny Omega and such for now. So, yeah. What did you guys think of uh, this match? Really, really fun, really cool. The uh, in general, the the elite multi man matches on these, not even just on the pay per views, but on dynamite, it's a, it's a safe bet. And this was more of the same good stuff. And just to go back to Dark Takeshita, what I really appreciate about what they're doing with putting him with Don Callis is that so far they're not doing like the shitty heel manager cheating spots he's just wrestling kind of the same but with more of an attitude and it's refreshing because it could have gone very wrong in a different direction really interesting interaction between him and Ishii where Takeshita basically knocked him out like instantly uh you gotta wonder it makes me think that Ishii, Ishii must have like the most respect for, for the guy to do something like this because he's, he's usually going to do the fighting spirit, like no selling back and forth, um, classic Ishii. And here he just went down. So I thought it was really cool. Cool way to put over the new Takeshita. Uh, Kingston and Moxley storyline, I like it. I Maybe the way they did the Kingston jumping in front of the double super kick was a I don't know, maybe a bit random, but the intention behind it was was cool, I thought. And then their post-match bit of arguing was fun as well. And I'm interested to see where it goes. Yeah, this was, I think, like we, you know, we've been talking about like mixed storylines and stuff, confusion, but like this one struck a good balance. So much going on, but they were still able to get, you know, get across their points and have like a lot of awesome stuff like yeah i i want ishii versus takashita tomorrow like i that was awesome um what was it the 
the the Moxley and Eddie as they were doing the chop battle, something there was like a dive train while they were still doing a chop yeah. battle, which that I was thought was cool. like, I don't know, we've seen a lot of wrestling, <laughs> but I was like, you know, that's a that's a cool idea. I'm I'm not sure I've seen before. Um, mm-hmm. so that I thought was awesome. Um, just so yeah, so much freaking going on, but just yeah, fun match. One of my favorites from the show. Just just based on like just amount of talent <laughs> alone. Um, and just uh, even like Uno like was awesome, but like I almost like feels like an afterthought. Like thinking about it now, but like he had a bunch of cool stuff with uh Ishii going back and forth to to Keshida for like little mini tag teams i feel like with like yuda with yes yeah. like there are a lot of like little like like mini subplots there too so just yeah fun fun match um that yeah good stuff it was good stuff i think i would have liked this one a lot more if i don't know i felt like the bucks and adam page like the vibe was off I don't know if I was the only one that felt that Notice way. But neither like, of us mentioned that. Yeah, neither, of you right. talked, neither of you talked about them at all. <laughs> I don't think the Bucks did anything until the very end of the match. And like, I yeah. didn't think, and like, I I like Adam Page. I have historically liked Adam Page. I felt like he didn't do, um, I didn't think he added anything here. I think I thought like in his big run with Takeshita, what actually pissed me off was the camera did not fully capture um adam page's big like uh what is it because he has a, like, oh, a big yeah, rolling elbow he's, oh, the he's roll- yeah, the, yeah yeah they completely cool. missed like the impact of it because of the fucking camera and i'm gonna bring up phil one more time because actually <laughs> it's his it's how they handle the go to sleep with him that pisses me off because that because. should be medium shot hard cam medium shot they always cut to a fucking crane at a bad <laughs> angle so you don't get the setup <laughs> and i right, don't understand like it's not hard guys it's really not medium shot hard cam yeah. medium shot you do it every time they never do it i don't understand who's in the truck calling this <laughs> but it's not hard so that annoyed me in this match i thought like the camera um angles were like were tough and like it's just something i've come to expect with AEW naturally when I've ever like really tuned into AEW it's always during a melee match like this so then I end up being like excited because I want to see this but also frustrated because I can't I don't know where to look That's, and they never honestly and that, that that is a consistent thing it is um I I don't know who's in the truck right now but I think it is like guys who work for like Impact WCW and one of my like well especially like thinking back to like Impact TNA that show was always not that I watched much of it at all but like super rushed and wouldn't focus on things and that's what I see a lot of that we're like right like that the elbow like those should be spots for like just stand alone like holy crap but it's like you just we're just moving on like oh that was crazy and yeah we're yeah yeah all you get is commentary (laughs) screaming but like you don't actually see it and like that's Oh, that annoys the <laughs> shit out of me. Just Excalibur reacting, but I missed it. So right, no, right, I'm right. Angry. My eye. <laughs> so My eye just blazed over, like I, yeah, exactly. Okay. Like, and then the young right. just doing a dive, and it's like, yeah. all right, we're moving on. It's that just oh god, you get like these awful like camera angles, like where they come around like a ring post, and it's like, what are what are you showing me? <laughs> Nothing. It drives me. Oh, fucking bonkers but like otherwise other than those things i didn't understand what was going on with the other team the camera angles just blew other than that like 
I did really, really like the Blackpool Combat Club stuff. Because like you guys are saying, there's just a lot of stuff here. You get a lot of like really good interactions between like the different guys. There's a lot of potential. And I think a lot of that stuff, Takeshita looks great. I'm really excited about all the different things that he's doing and him like being like an Osaka tough guy now. Like I'm super into seeing him um, do that. One thing that was notable is that he's not actually like an official like Blackpool Combat Club guy yet. Right. He's like an honorary guy, which I think is really interesting i didn't like it because i really don't want to see him with the elite at all i would rather see him with blackpool combat club so i, I did note that i thought that was kind of interesting but um yeah it just it was cool if you're really into i think blackpool combat club and what they're doing and and like lou i i was surprised by the eddie stuff with with moxley i'm i was i thought it was interesting but it was really random um and i don't know the chop battle between those two guys was kind of sick though so there was at least that I was just, I was like, all right, cool trap battle. And then they did those dives during the trap battle. And I was like, yeah. all right, I'm sold. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I mean. We're rolling. That's right. We're rolling. So let's, let's, um, any more thoughts on that before we move into the next? No. All I'm good. Consistently all good. confounded by Hangman Page. We're waiting for him to break out or not. I, I don't know. <laughs> just get, like, I like him, but it, it's like every three months I like him. I don't know. It's weird. I think he's in a down period right now or something. I don't know. Punk, punk messed him up. <laughs> that whole, that whole thing. Yeah, no no more punk, no more punk talk. All no, right. we can't get, we're not going to get into the ESPN article right now. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. um, we had two women's matches on this card. I'm going to talk about them. Um, I'm going to talk about them at the same time and we'll just talk about some general stuff with them. So we had on the, we read it before we had the zero hour Athena versus Billy Starks. Um, and I believe Athena is, um, an ROH women's champion. And then we had Tony Storm versus Willow Nightingale on the main card, um, for the women's title in AEW. So, um, I would love to hear your thoughts, just overall impressions on the AEW women's division and how you feel like they handled both of these, um, matches. And I want to say too, that Tony Khan has gone on the record during the media call before Forbidden Door say that stardom was not involved with this card because of a conflicting show in Japan. Um, and I believe that there's going to be some um, stardom involvement with Willow coming up actually in um, in July, so very soon. But would you like to see his stardom's involvement in AEW in the future? A million percent. And it would. And I, I, I like Tony Storm. I like Willow, but they did not do them any favors by putting them in like a not interpromotional match on the Forbidden Door show. They just kind of threw him out there. Um, I would uh, love to see many, many people from Startup on on these shows, on other AEW shows. It would be a lot cooler. Um, the AEW Women's Division, I, I have no unique takes on it. It, it, it's, it struggles. It, it, it's gotten... God, they've had some great matches, and then it just... And I'm thinking back to you, like, Nyla Rose was a good champion. I, I'm way back when, like, she, like, rocked it. She lose the title, gone. <laughs> just, like, just... <laughs> Sheeta has, has a year, carries them through the pandemic, gone. <laughs> just goodbye. We'll see. Like, and that's... It hurts momentum. Uh, Tony Storm, another, like, good, like, Jamie Hayter, like, they're, you know, solid, like, anchors, but they don't do them any favors when yeah they're just kind of this felt like very much just a come down match it was probably tony willow was probably the weakest the main card but like just based on like there just wasn't much meat to it like it was a good match it was fine but they 
just it's yeah it's disappointing like even even on the pre-show athena versus billy starks what kind of forbidden door crap is that <laughs> like i don't you're just not helping anybody yeah um oh yeah there's there's my thoughts <laughs> Yeah, my, my only take here would be that every, every AEW pay-per-view that I've watched has felt like I've been, I'm being force-fed a Britt Baker match. Uh, <laughs> and this match felt better than, than most of these Britt Baker matches that I've true. seen. Uh, Willow, Nightingale, really good baby face. Uh, I'd like to see more of her. Wasn't super familiar with her. Tony Storm, a good heel. Uh, it feels like the the stuff with the outcasts is starting to come together a bit. Like they're, I think they're, they're they found their their sort of mean girls persona. Uh, and when Soraya is not around, it works even better. Um, yeah, that's about it. They were in a in a bad spot for sure, but they they sort of made it work. Yeah, yeah, it was like a, it was a good match on like any other card. Like, yeah. like actually, a very good match. It's just like, yeah, it was, yeah, just New Japan representative Willow Nightingale was not, and I, and I, I love her. She uh, saw her live at Collision when that theme hits. Mm. I'm just dancing. <laughs> you just can't help it. Like, yeah, that is baby face right there. Yeah, yeah. I saw her at my AEW show when I went to see Akiyama and um, I thought that she, I loved her theme. I thought that she's like a great entrance. That's like, so that's so much of my impression of her that night was her entrance. And I, I watched her on collision and I've never been a fan of Tony storm. And I don't, I think what bothered me, cause I was sitting through the package for this, obviously before the match like really happened. I, I know that like Tony storm is a heel and like they're doing the whole heel thing with that group. But just in like those packages, like there is a certain way that women in in wrestling are directed to, I think, set up their kayfabe with each other that is specific to women. And I don't like the way it sounds. And I think it's it's very much men telling women how they need to sound on their wrestling shows. And I don't think that Tony Khan has any clue how to have a women's division that functions on his shows um there's it's almost like we don't I could probably go on like longer about this but I also like I don't really watch enough of this to necessarily feel like I should be the one <laughs> talking about this because I don't but like I I well, know the, yeah. us two, two dudes should not be but yeah. like at, like agree, actually agree like you can get that but also you, you it's hard to get that vibe because there's also so little of it too. Like mm-hmm. women in AEW, it is like, it's like a five minute, like quick, like, all right, here they are. We, and how we- is that different from WWE? Right. right. Like, how is that different? Like how, how do you, if they're going to position themselves as we are the, the other product, we are the alternative to WWE. You treat your women the same exact way that they have outside of like the really favored folks. Right. But even still, like they still dick around with um Charlotte and them still like, it's yeah. there's no perfect all, system for women in America right now, and like it really shows in sticking these women in a quick match, like it, between like people are not they're they're waiting for the next match to come on. This match didn't like the way it was placed doesn't help them. It just there is the um and it's horrible, but uh, uh, wrestling legend Jerry the King Lawler used to <laughs> sorry, used to always say, hold on, hold on. I, I love a point here. He used to hold, like this was like ten years ago when it was still stupid to say. But when he was a consistent commentator on WWE television, 
every freaking time there'd be like a story between women, he would do the old, all women hate each other. You know, this guy is it? Then you, you know, I'm yep. like, log. <laughs> and like, even at, yeah, 10 years ago, you're cringing. Like, come on, God, what are we? That is how <laughs> wrestling bookers still just treat their women's divisions across yeah. everywhere. Like it just, and so what do you talk about that cadence, right? Every promo. Yeah. Tony Storm's not getting 20 minutes to talk about her relationship with Dave Zaslav. Like she, you know, is just got to say, Britt Baker, you're a bitch. <laughs> like it's just right. simple. And that's how it sounded. And even like, I think um, I would have to go back and look at it again, but I thought that even Willow Nightingale was kind of leaning into that too. And like, I'm not right. casting aspersions on anyone's character. Um, I'm just saying, just I, I when I hear it, yeah. I, I blame it on exactly your your example with, with Jerry the King Lawler. I blame it on that. It's like all women, all women hate each other. And like, right. it reminds me of a very specific era of WWE. And I just don't, I don't enjoy it. But the match itself, I think was like, it was fine. There was interference. I feel like yeah. if you were just like, if you were coming off the high of the last match, but then also waiting for the title match next, the level of interference was going to probably grate on you. So again, not the placement on the card was probably just not helpful, but they probably needed yeah. the come down match before going into the next one. And it's just not, again, it's not thoughtful. It's not helping your women's division. Totally boxed in by a lot. Yeah. Way, way too much. To... They could have put the, frankly, the co-main here. And I don't, I still don't know that you can put the women in the co-main slot, but I don't know that the co-main needed to be the co-main either. Right, 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 right. Any more thoughts on the, on the women's division or the state of the women's division in uh, Tony Khan's AEW? Just do better, everybody, please. (laughs) That's it. Oh God, do better indeed. And and bring stardom over. Gee, that's, that's the fix. They actually, sorry, one more point. AEW did have a good formula when they were just throwing like like Riho out uh Yuka Sakazaki and like six man tags like that was cool and then suddenly it had to be about Thunder Rosa Britt Baker drama and uh, yeah I, I don't know but so yeah well, hopefully Yuka will come back because she she's only not here I think because she had that injury so she'll hopefully okay. make her way back and then I think it's for the weird, um, like the weird 4th of July card in Corican. I believe it's Willow Nightingale. There's a tag match with Willow Nightingale on one side, Julia on the other from stardom. And the next night they fight for a title. Yep. I think. Strong open weight or never open weight. I think it's strong. It is. It's the strong women's. Okay. Moving moving on. The fact that we don't know might say a lot. So yes. Let's do move better. into the, uh, <laughs> to please do better. That's going to be the tagline for the whole show. Please do better. So the the next match, um, so much discourse coming out of this one. So this will be fun to discuss, but we had Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay. And this is for the IWGP United States Championship. So I, I'm excited for your thoughts. I think both of you have seen the the match that they had at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, the more the more recent one. So I'm excited to hear what you guys think about that one compared to this one. And I do want to talk to you about um, <laughs> a couple things, but uh, specifically the discourse around Will Ospreay's Tiger Driver and this call for regulating dangerous moves in the <laughs> industry. I have several strong opinions on this, so I can't wait to get into this with you, both of you. Yeah, um, that first That's match. Perfect match. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I was actually a big fan of their Tokyo Dome match. For real, I really enjoyed that. And there was a lot of that of that first match that 
that uh, that happened in that second that I liked as well about the second one. Like the same kind of stuff was there, the uh, same kind of sort of uh, high athleticism and big dangerous spots and energy. Um, I guess it did feel a bit like the WWE pay per view version of that first match where they they went and did too much. Like they did, they brought in the Don Callis interference. They brought in the Chris Benoit tributes. <laughs> they, uh, uh, they, they, they just might have done too much. Um, Bleeding all over the place. So. They, they, they did. They, it was sort of a Bret Hart versus Steve Austin match at some point with the sharpshooter and the bleeding all over. Uh, and then Osprey with the Canadian flag, which was like the Shawn Michaels tribute. Um, it, it it was it. I I still enjoyed it, but yeah, it was a bit much. Like they went maybe and uh, I don't know a bit too much in in WWE style, or maybe not even. It, sometimes it reminded me of I don't know if you guys remember the pandemic era. IWGP title matches with evil where you would get this like this like 40 minute epic match that that ended on like a run-in or something like that and they sort of did that here and to their credit they they recovered from the Don Callis spot and they brought back the crowd for more cool shit but um that's always been my thing to me you, you have to choose you, you can't have it both ways. Like you can't have the 45 minute Japanese wrestling style epic and the sports entertainment, like bullshit run in match all at once. Cause it requires the, the sort of 40 minute match requires a level of investment that when the run-ins start coming in, you almost feel like insulted. <laughs> so yeah. um, it's like th- there was some amazing stuff in here. But like that's always kind of like the criticism. I think of the of the Tokyo Dome match too. Like Will Osprey, oh Will, and and and, and Kenny, like incredible like athletes, capable of some amazing stuff. But like filling in like the gaps of like during their matches to make them like complete, like feel complete. Like I mean, they don't have to like work a leg, but like it. That's what it just felt like a bunch of random stuff. And it felt like like the Canadian flag thing, like, uh, yeah, that was, you know, like clever, whatever, you know, funny, I don't know. But like, right, what are you doing this in the middle of this like bloody like war with, it was just a lot of stuff, I guess. And I I liked it, you know, it, it was a, it was a good match. I was entertained, but also I rolled my eyes quite a bit. Um, the, the tiger driver thing. Yeah, I like dangerous move discord like there's doing a tiger driver and then there is like being untrained and like falling on a bunch of tables as like a person who hasn't trained like unsafe moves in wrestling to me like yeah obviously lots of discourse around it but like to me like it's always come down to like if these guys are doing these moves that the best wrestling comes from when wrestlers trust each other to do incredible feats of like human ingenuity and the tiger driver 91. I don't know if that's like the peak of human ingenuity, but like, it's a pretty cool thing to do. And that, Hey, if they trust each other to do it, 
more power to him. It was a crazy, I, I am, I'm judging it by in the middle of the match. Like, did it take me out of the match? Did, did it? No, it like kept me in it. I was going crazy. I was like, what the fuck is going on? So in that place, it works. Now, do, do I want to encourage every wrestler to be doing Tiger Driver 91s? No, it's stupid. But like Omega and Osprey, these guys have done it enough. So like when people are like clutching, you know, like, oh, I, you know, I don't think we need these dangerous moves. Like, sh- shut up. Like, it's, it's just so it's to me like that's just like they're they're doing it for a reason. Um, And there's much, believe me, there's much worse stuff in wrestling to be worried about than like them practicing a Tiger Driver 91 and then doing it in the ring so that's my thought (laughs) yeah just to real quick for me the whole dangerous move discourse i i think dangerous moves if a if wrestlers are capable of making them feel meaningful then dangerous moves are awesome and for all of this matches uh, faults it it felt big it was a big match it felt epic and in that moment, that Tiger Driver 91, it, it felt like a big deal. And Kenny took a hell of a bump. It looked insane. So for me, it worked. Like, it, it's the opposite. Of, Jason, you're going to remember this, but back in early, like, early ROH, you would watch, like, this random undercard match with people doing burning hammers to each other. And to me, this is, like, a good example of, a bad use of a dangerous move. Like it, it feels a bit useless. Right. That's when the, the tweet's okay. Maybe I'll yeah, Right. Yes. Yeah. But yeah what yeah. is this undercarder doing? A tiger, tiger driver. <laughs> right. Nobody's watching this show. It's a pretty big show. I don't know. You can do a tiger driver 91. <laughs> it's, it's okay. I don't know. I think the, the dangerous move discourse, it, it bothers me on a couple of levels. I've talked to Justin Nipper of write that down with Fumi Saito from fight game um, media network a couple of times about this. Cause he's been around a lot longer than me too. And for him, like this discourse is, is newer, right? It hasn't always been a, and like you two could probably speak to this too. Like it's, this hasn't always been a thing, right? Like so pervasive in how we talk about wrestling. It's probably really been only in the last couple of years, which is interesting to me because I don't even remember it from when I entered this this type of wrestling I don't remember it so that's been interesting to kind of sit with it's just been in the last couple of years and I it really does bother me when people get into this you know calling for a regulation of dangerous moves because once you open again we're opening another door once you open that door of what what is dangerous and what is not dangerous like you people don't actually want that they say they want that kind of regulation and oversight I don't think people actually know what that means and that that's in all things it's not just wrestling but it's in all forms of art you you don't actually want people yeah. to come in and start regulating your media right. i just think that people can't get rid of the cop in their head when they say things like that but yeah, they can't find so, another way to complain about something that might be valid right Right. I think that there's probably other ways to say that you felt uncomfortable with what you saw. Yeah. But at the same time, what you saw is from the, the safety of your couch. You've never been in a wrestling ring. You guys have probably never even been in a jujitsu gym. You don't even know what most of this stuff feels like. So you're not the authority on what is dangerous and what is not. And that, that that's the stuff that really bothers me. I think I've seen in the past like year alone, like people very quick to say, oh, so-and-so is responsible for that injury, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you you can't make yeah. that call. And that's yeah. very dangerous discourse. And then, you know, people wanted to bring up like um, 
Misawa's untimely passing, which has nothing to really do. Like this is a, a one-time use of this move. Misawa passed away from years and years of wear and dangerous tear, yeah. wear and tear to his body. Right. So that, that's people... where danger comes in. It's mm-hmm. the, and that, that's, that's maybe sorry to interrupt, but like, like no. that's what messed I'll say messed up. Maybe the discourse is right. Or was last like 20 years fans have found so much more about like d- doctors and wrestling take, you know, everyone's heard about the neck surgeries. Like we're all like experts now, like right. uh, WWE did a lot of stuff. This is what comes from like WWE, how they like regulated the pile driver out of safety for their performers. Cause they're so concerned well, to about avoid their own lawsuits and not <laughs> right. even out of concern yeah, for their and, own performers. And that's exactly what a lot of this, I think like comes, it's just, it's, and it, it bothers me, though, because like when when you have um, these conversations happening and all this like sort of to me, it comes across as true moral panic hand wringing. Right. Yeah. But <laughs> it bothers me because then you set up, you know, the tragedy in what happened with Misawa is that so Akatoshi Saito, he was like hounded into almost taking his life. Oh, my God. What happened, I I... Which is a heavy topic. But what my point is that people for all of their hand wringing that you like when you are commenting on things you don't understand that is like the type of power that you are now giving yourselves when you're like you know forming your mobs around um you know these these dangerous moves and like you know blah 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 and some of the some of the very real situations I've seen come up we've like we've all seen in the past couple of years we've seen what happened with um Tetsuya Endo and how people wanted to handle that without knowing um any of the context around that or um there's you know there's other examples too so Paraguayo Rey Mysterio 619 right exactly so like there's there's a danger to people talking about things that they're not um they're not equipped to be talking about we're gonna yeah. we can talk about the um we'll talk about what happens in the main event with um with Brian, yeah. but now we have a lot of people who are also, you know, they're they're all doctors. They they, they can take a look at an X-ray on Instagram, and they know exactly how long he's going to be out, right? So there's right. a lot of this that I think is very new discourse, but it's not helpful discourse. Like you guys have right. to just watch the goddamn show and stop <laughs> commenting on things that you don't. It, it went from like um, I feel like the, the the worry about safety in wrestling, right? I don't remember it, and, and this could, you know, my, yeah, my, my my brain's foggy sometimes, but like. It used to be hardcore wrestling, garbage wrestling. That used to be the like, oh, this is the unsafe. This is then right. Everyone became like a physical therapist overnight or something. And like <laughs> now we're, yeah, we're like overanalyzing these moves when, I, I mean, yeah, I don't know, like that hangman, like the hangman page rolling elbow to Ishii or even Takeshi does elbow to, like maybe that just really just did hurt. <laughs> So well, it's very selective, right? Because no yeah. one said a thing about that. Yeah. But the tiger yeah, driver, cool it was. right? Well, everybody was on board. But then when it came to the tiger driver, everybody had. Exactly. Um, and I think it's because you know this is you know the tiger driver takes people to a certain era of wrestling that, frankly, I think a lot of people that were kind of most uh, that were being loudest about it, they've really only seen gifs or short video clips of the '90s All Japan era of wrestling and nor have they read a lot about that era of wrestling so to me it's like you're you're commenting on something you don't even quite understand a a style of wrestling that you don't understand so there's layers to this discourse that is very uh convoluted and silly i think people just need to go back to just watching it i did see a very uh, this made me think of um of you Lou, just because you um you you have star ratings but someone said that um (laughs) someone said that for for dangerous moves in a match people should be docked 
stars. And that oh was like God. the most contrast <laughs> thing I've ever read in my life. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like a witch hunt. That's, uh, <laughs> no, that's, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. No, when I see dangerous move, I add a star. That's why yeah. all my matches are rated 25 stars. Also, right. because just to go back to what Alicia was saying about people watching All Japan, 90s All Japan through GIFs on Twitter now, I think people don't realize that like moves like the Tiger Driver 91 and the Burning Hammer and like a lot of these like epic moves, they might have been done like, I don't know, like less than Kobashi might have done the Burning times. Hammer maybe maybe seven times max. Right, right, right. So, so it's Kobashi walks around in pain, but like he's still kicking. He's still like, okay. Like everyone acts like, right. All these guys like died of like drug overdoses. <laughs> like they're all still like, you know, like, yes, Masao was a tragedy. That's this stuff obviously does happen. This is a day, like landing on your back. That's all bad, but like, right. Exactly. To pick and choose what way of landing on your neck is the best way. Like, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm just going to watch and yeah, see, mm-hmm. see what happens. <laughs> I want to say too that Ken Stalker on Twitter, his name is Cameron. He actually um, just did some more translations and some work around uh, some explanations of how the Tiger Driver move was supposed to work because it's um, had it, there's like some interesting background on it and how it changed throughout the '90s. But Ken Stalker has that on his Twitter, so um, highly recommend if you actually want to learn about the move and its history and not just go off of like these very uh, just loud people yelling mm-hmm. about one gift they've seen of the move on Twitter. Please go over to Ken Stalker and just just read some of the stuff he's been putting up on his Twitter because it's uh, it's important. And you'll learn something. I don't know. That's all I got on that, I guess. But for uh, in terms of, of this match, I'll just give my very short sort of feedback. I did think it was overwrought. Every time I thought it was going to end, it would not end. Yep. <laughs> and then when I was begging for it to end, it still wouldn't end. So uh, to me, like, it, like Lou, you're you're totally right when you said because you were you we were DMing. You said that like this was like an evil match, like circa that like you know lockdown pandemic era, and like you're right, like, it does feel like that. But this also to me is like this is just a Kenny Omega match. Like he's into like these very soap op- soap operatic sort of affairs. And like, that's why well, I like, I've never, right. That's why I've like never fully been able to, I think get into him aside from like, I, I still love the Naito Omega G1 final. I still really love that. Mm-hmm. Match. It's a good, really good match. A, I feel like that. I hundred percent agree on that one. I feel like that's like the peak of like whatever style Omega is going for usually. Mm-hmm. but then every other one of his matches is usually some kind of attempt at that and you're like well you already did it like as good as you're gonna do it <laughs> i don't know what else to tell you and right this one like i, I might have wanted to see the cole Lawler match if it could have saved like 10 minutes from this one but um yeah it it, it lasted a bit. <laughs> you're right we didn't get that so they added 10 minutes to this that's the problem it's Just... funny and i will I... say too about the we, we kind of have to address the we kind of have to address the the Chris Benoit thing that was stunning um stunning yes that's the word why why would you do it (laughs) because the thing about the thing about I could say a lot about um Will Ospreay who I am definitively not a fan of but like the thing about that it shows such a lack of of um what's the word so many words yeah (laughs) he just he has no ability to see how inappropriate that would be it's a we don't we don't do that he was in canada i think we were approaching some sort of maybe anniversary around things with benoit and then 
Yeah, like like these are like these are things where it's like Here we go. And then I want to point out too, this is like something that my friend Sarah pointed out, and this just like kind of like hit it home for me. He has been involved in an angle with his girlfriend. Yep. where like he beat the shit out of her right yep. Yep. and then he goes and he does this around the anniversary of stuff with chris benoit and it's like you know you can i i don't even want to get into this like shit with him i have very strong feelings about him from the way that he behaves whatever um you can like we, his wrestling i'm not i'm not here to we, argue we are not about fans this. of will Ospreay. happy yeah. wrestling let me just state that <laughs> you can find many words I've written <laughs> negatively about that man <laughs> Jason, I'm gonna look up every negative word, but I just I, I can't I, believe. Wait, I find one positive. Thing. <laughs> I can't believe the, the the I don't know what word I'm searching for, but it just to to have the fucking gall to do that, and then to not. Uh, it's amazing to me that people are more upset about the tire driver than they are about the. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, that is true. The Chris Benoit tribute. It, I'm putting it, it tribute just, in air quotes for people that are listening to this. The sharp, the sh- it followed a sharpshooter, which was like. I think that if I'm getting it right, it followed like yes, a, a, yeah. a the sequence of like, them. Yeah. Well, this is funny. That's there were actually like some good vibes going. It was like, well, look at this guy. He kind of gets it. And then yeah, the, the, this mix of dumbass gall to to do yeah to uh, like as he was doing it. I think yeah, it was Wesley Yulu. Like, is he? It's real. Yep, yep. He's doing it. He's still, like he actually freaking did it. Um, wrestlers in general. Uh, it's not excusing will of anything do seem to have a weird fascination with chris benoit and that crossface in using it in big matches edge does it a lot it, it, it another canadian it's very uh, he didn't know that is does he do that edge oh. does it uh who sean michaels used to do it mm. like it just and it's in main event matches and it's like are you like tributing him like what what is, what are we looking to get out of this <laughs> a lot of people like a lot of those guys you can go watch the vice thing right like what is it is through vice what is it called the um dark, dark side, side of the ring yeah you can watch the dark side of the ring like i don't know if he felt more emboldened to do it because like jericho has yes. ha- jericho yes. feels his own type of way about chris benoit I just highly recommend that if you want like some you know you can watch it you can watch the dark side of the ring thing it's i think it's actually worth watching but is this appropriate? No. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, right. Wrestlers, the wrestlers, and I mean, of all of all of the things that are messed up with them, there's many that have a, a strange affinity still for Chris Benoit. Mm-hmm. But like, especially right, like the anniversary in this big just dream match on Forbidden Dirt. Like, what will? Like, c- come on, man. Just yeah, Bush League, indie, indie, <laughs> made New Japan look indie. Oh my god. Any any final um god, <laughs> indictments of these people in this match before we move on to the domain? St- still a five star match. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. It was still five stars. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's five stars. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. No, no other thoughts on this. Good, but morally disappointing. Yeah. Match. yeah. Good, but what the fuck on every level, including <laughs> Everybody talking about taking stars away from people for <laughs> tiger drivers. Moves. There's only so many stars. Come on. Yeah. Enough. Enough is all I have to say to that. So let's move into the co-main, um, which had its own set of issues, I think. More people who can't move. So we had um, exactly. Minoru Suzuki, Chris Jericho, and um, Sammy Guevara. They were going up against Tetsuya Naito, Darby Allen, and Sting. So 
this is another match where like a lot of the background surrounds like AEW and the storyline of Jericho and Sting and they're warring over their protégés as as one mm-hmm. does. Darby and Sammy have begun to show each other like respect and Jericho has come to resent this. And Sting has pushed back against him and this has sparked a feud between them. So Jericho invited Suzuki to come and help him out and Sting promised to bring a friend as well. <laughs> so he he brings out a you know t-shirt Tetsuya Naito. Um, who doesn't like Jericho because they've had run-ins and they had that whole Wrestle Kingdom 13 thing back in 2019. So I, off the top of this, I thought this, like, this was killing me because I forgot this match was a thing. I was so, after that, like, 45-minute fucking drama and Chris Benoit bullshit, I was ready for the main event because I was like, this main event will save me. I didn't realize this match was even on the card, to be honest with you. I thought we had already seen Naito and we hadn't. So I was devastated and just ready to move on. But what did you guys think? Do you guys, d- despite retirement, do you guys think Muto tried to work his way into this match? Or or that would have been a good spot for him. It actually. would have been, but it would have been the perfect here comes Naito. Yeah, it like I hear fun, but exactly for the spot, let's yeah. move on. You know, like it was it perfectly fun. What was it? Sting and Naito teaming up. That was cute. You know, like it was it was cute. It was a cute match. Like I, that that could have gone second. You know, like yeah, for the spot. Nah, it was a a cool down match essentially. Yeah. Also in a bad spot, and I did like Minoru Suzuki doing the 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 posing thing with uh, Jericho and Sammy. That was that was fun. It's cute. Uh, it was all cute. <laughs> Just a cute match. <laughs> That was my that that was, was. my thought. That's, yep. yeah. Minoru Suzuki having fun in his old age. He's, yeah, just loving life. Uh, he deserves how it. Many, he... How many stars does a cute match get? I, I I'm Ooh. actually embarrassed the amount of stars I gave this because I was I might have just been I I gave it three and a half, but I'm probably gonna rethink that. I know, don't judge me. All right, all right. I, I, I'm a huge fan of just dumb fun matches, and this was just like a, it didn't That's ask fine. much of yeah. me. You know, it was like it, it, it just. We make it on to three, but yeah. you, know. you needed to heal from like the dogs are in the enclosed pool area. Exactly, exactly, exactly. That's exactly. Yeah. I was like, I need something just, just, just cute. Yep, three point five. Got it, Lou. <laughs> uh, I let's go with three. Let's go with <laughs> now. We're rating every match. Gentlemen's three. Yeah, yeah. So and Maine have to have stars. Okay, yeah, got it. Cool. Any other um, major thoughts and takeaways from from this? No, I, I, no, I, I support matches like this. Like, just not like, <laughs> not when they blow up the card. Right, I, right. You know, like, this is the perfect undercard match. I agree with you. And I don't mean to be disparaging of uh, Tetsuya, <laughs> who I do. Um, no, please, I do please be. It, it had no place being where it was. <laughs> but it just, this match was like, I was, I was like on my knees begging for this to be over so that I could just get to the main event and also go to bed because I knew this was going to go really long. Actually, I, I do have one more point. Because this this actually this is my another review of Will and Omega that I just remembered. Uh and Lou can test this. I fell asleep. Basically, probably 10 minutes before Omega Osprey ended, I texted him and I was like, I'm not making this show. <laughs> so I went to bed after Omega Osprey. So that that roller coaster put me to bed. And then I woke up and watched that six man, which is likely why I was so positive on it. <laughs> and then I got to watch the main event with a fresh set of eyes. So yes, I, that just speaks to how bloated these cards could get. Like I was mm-hmm. just like, man, 
Okada and Danielson are coming up and I'm still going to bed. <laughs> like, I just can't do this. So I don't blame you. I probably should have done the same because I needed to rewatch this the next day, I think, to actually have like real feelings right. about it because I was yeah. so done by the like midway point but the midway point through Okada Danielson I was done with the night right oh yeah my gosh it's just a, a bloody fever dream right now <laughs> something <laughs> happened <laughs> that dang Tiger Driver 91 put me to sleep there is there's a real recurring issue with match lengths on AEW pay-per-views like even on the undercard for a lot of these matches that that I really enjoyed like you could have removed like a few minutes from all of these pretty oh, much and, oh. and and you'd have a, a, a tighter show at the end of the day. So yeah, it's, it's been a problem for a lot of these pay-per-views. I 100% agree based on what I know. So with that being said, let's move into the main event. This is Kazuchika Okada versus Brian Danielson. So the background here. After an epic six-man never tag belts match between the champions, which is Okada, Tanahashi, and Ishii, and this is versus Blackpool Combat Club, that's Mox, Claudio, and Shota Umino, Moxley got on the mic and called out to Okada, and that's when a video package played of Brian Danielson. He challenged Okada to a singles match, claiming that he would bring the Rainmaker into the desert. Uh, this is actually a really cool video package. Okada stressed the importance of this match, really putting Danielson over and painting this match as a best of the best type of match. However, before I get into this match, I just want to talk about an interesting piece of discourse, more discourse that always seems to circulate around these types of crossover events. And that's the myth of the casual fan. So when this was announced, there was like this tweet that like sparked the annual <laughs> casual fan discourse. Um, and it was calling into question whether casual fans would be familiar enough with Okada. Uh. There was, um, Okada <laughs> did show up to an episode of AEW Dynamite um, right before this. And he had a stone cold pop when he hit the ramp, which was incredible. So before we get into the match, do you guys think AEW like does enough to introduce fans to these Japanese wrestlers? Do you think that they need to? Do you think that the so-called casual fan um, who doesn't know these people like even exists at this point? Is it really just like a myth? It's the, the casual fan discourse is uh, a top five worst <laughs> discourse of all time. Easily, easy. I, I'm just going to, when I was a, a, um, Young Captain Lou watching Monday Night Row. Like my favorite thing was like seeing these random luchadors or Japanese wrestlers come out on the undercard with no explanation, having these super cool matches. And then I would go off on the like pre-internet and try to read more about them. And that's essentially how I got into Japanese wrestling uh, in general. Uh, so for me especially for a dream match situation like this, and especially for a show like Forbidden Door, which is basically tailor-made for hardcore wrestling Freaking fans. Title. It's the title. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you don't need to do like these like WWE style vignettes and weeks and weeks of build. It's a complete waste of time. And as Alicia mentioned on the prior Dynamite, like Okada came out, people knew him. He got a great pop. Uh, you don't need to reinvent the wheel with these like New Japan versus AEW shows. Like it's it's the concept uh, sells sells itself. It's really not complicated. I, AEW doesn't even introduce their wrestlers with vignettes. <laughs> like like, like that's just how wrestling is now. Like and and 
yeah, but like they can do better at many things, but exactly like this one, just like Lucy, it's the, that's, that's the bill. It's forbidden door. Okada got that pop. That's what you need. They're relying on at least the live audience to understand that. And that's what you're presenting to the people who are watching TV. They don't, the the, the casual fan, if that exists, which it doesn't, but like, if it even does, they're, they're watching this and they're seeing a guy that's over. So, so that's what they're, they're seeing the casual fan, that, that whole, that whole thing, right? Like the internet definitely changed that. Um, I, I would argue like casual fan is more like me telling my friends to watch something versus like somebody who's just going to like watch the TV. And like, I don't think, and just ra- random story, but, but, but day, the day of forbidden door, I went to a, a, a a basketball game with my dad um ice cube has a basketball league big three and it was uh, the day of forbidden door so we go there in the morning my dad i can say he got me into wrestling but he he now might be that casual fan that rarely watches it but like t- tunes in once in a while and like so he we're driving and like he he brings up to me just randomly so i watch wrestling on friday night like this, this is that casual fan that like, people think like this mythical person and I'm just like, yeah, because <laughs> I who knows what? There's just like silence, and then he just goes, Seamus, <laughs> like, <laughs> that, like, and that was as deep as like the analysis got. And then he goes like, Seamus really beefed up, and I'm like, yep. And I think he watched like maybe ten minutes of it, and he's not he's not gonna like get hooked on Seamus now and like watch SmackDown every Friday. Like the casual, you don't want casual fans. They're not gonna stick around. So just just get like the build all this stuff like again as we've said the build is forbidden door all the hand ring like yes there could be more i don't know streamlined explanation maybe of why certain things are important in in AEW but for something like yeah like Daniels and Okada like I, yeah i don't need you know Okada to be a mercenary for you know Don, Don Callis to take something like we don't need that so yeah Casual fan, it's my dad, and, and AEW doesn't want my dad. <laughs> he's, he's not going to buy pay per view. He's, he's not going to do it. So yeah, that's my thought on the casual fan. No, I just, it's, it's 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 all good. It's all good thoughts. I think that um, I think to what you said before too. It's like people must not really believe like who AEW is actually speaking to with something like this, but it is literally to sell tickets and who's going to buy the tickets and spend all the money. These, these things are expensive. It's like horrific to get tickets to go to anywhere. Um, Chicago four nights in a month again. I can't do this. <laughs> right. Like it's, it's awful. And like, who is going, it's the hardcore fans that know who these guys are. So that's who they're talking to. They're not talking to the person at home. that's going to catch any of this on YouTube or turn on the TV right so they're they're talking to the people spending the money that already know and i think a like a big part of this is people thinking that what happens on their phone on twitter is real life right and this is it's really and like i don't mean to be i don't want this to come off like super rude or like mean like Twitter's important for connecting. Like i i met you both on twitter right like twitter is really important for connecting people but Twitter, it, like in terms of the discourse that is like that people like spend a lot of time like going to bat over, guys, I promise you it's not real. It's not. <laughs> We're that. with people with like very like-minded interests. Mm-hmm. And when 
especially when I eat it, like comes with something like Forbidden Door. Like if you want the these Japanese guys to be introduced to video packages, there's like 30 new wrestlers on this show that haven't been in AEW last year. Like, do you want 30 different like simple explanations? Like, it's too much. So like, right? It's for it, it, it's you know it, why did Okada get the pop? Because everyone in that building knows who freaking Okada is. Like, you're not gonna break down Kazuchika Okada like his history and like hook someone there's other way there's just too many different out uh, and to your point I think people put way too much stock into the amount of people that are actually like okay if they play it when you're watching AEW maybe you're going to watch it because you're either watching the program like live or on your tv right in terms of the amount of people that are going to be online like on Twitter scrolling and stop at this video I think people don't realize how few people actually watch those things all the way through. We can't even get people to watch subtitled content like for Noah. <laughs> like no one's watching those videos, even though they're just starting to get really good subtitled content on their own wrestlers. Like no one is actually clamoring for the content they think. And a lot of it has to do with like attention deficit issues and like everything else. So I think we just need to move past like talking about these things. Like, again, like I think that's part of the myth of it is like, you guys think this content matters. It doesn't actually matter at all yeah, exactly right right <laughs> Seamus Seamus beefed up <laughs> that's it that's it what was what was his big line for a long time um his big line it's oh god I I, sh- I should know this of every uh, oh god it's fight it's fight night fella something fella was one of them there's <laughs> something else I'll remember it later and I'll message it to you anyway let's move on to the actual uh the match here um, you guys go first. What did how did we feel about Okada and Danielson's this real true um I think super match for like you know this 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 era of wrestling? How did you guys feel? It was it was very good. I I think I did want to enjoy it a bit more than I actually did. And <laughs> a lot of it had a lot of it came down to the crowd being super burned out from the entire show. Mm-hmm. Like uh Certain parts of the match felt a bit cold because of the lack of crowd engagement, but like the work was super sound, super solid. I think both guys look great. Okada, um, I, I think Danielson is able to bring out something interesting out of him, like sort of um, the ace pride kind of thing. Uh, they had a really cool like European uppercut battle where like you could mm-hmm. see Okada at his best um the arm injury was unfortunate but i think they worked around it really well like the submission finish with danielson doing it with like his arm broken was super cool i'm still Uh, shocked they went nearly yeah like reading that match time like i thought it was like 20 minutes but i don't know like impressive my my ultimate take on this is that i'm excited for a rematch hopefully in new Japan with like a better crowd. Hmm. That's it. That's actually probably that last point might be the same thing. Yeah. It was like, it, it was the start of an amazing match mm-hmm. that got obviously derailed by an injury. And then I don't like, uh, <laughs> I don't crap on I got a guy that just yeah broke his forearm, but like, I don't know. I, I see these two as like two of the best in the world. And I was kind of thinking, you guys could have thought of a little. I'm gonna fly a little cooler way to get into the submission, but but that might be me me nitpicking them because of prior just greatness from them. Um, mm. it was 
like 20 minutes of them like just hanging out with friends like just like gra- grappling like this is everything i wanted to see you're doing all the spots um okada has been kind of during covid he did have a little kind of downtime where i wasn't digging on his matches so much i mean obviously the crowds were not there um so that's gonna hurt it but he was injured too like i think people missed that part of him switching his finisher from the rainmaker to what's it called like the the money clip the money money clip he he had like um i think he was dealing with like like hernia issues and that exactly so yeah everything just seemed off and then i'm not like then this year he comes he wins the title again and he has this new like kind of enoki person that he's fighting off the young guy so he has this new like aura to him here he didn't he it, it's it was cool like he didn't like wrestle danielson like he was wrestling like um like umino or um, narita like it was okay shoot i gotta i gotta you know i'm wrestling a guy, guy who was like equal to me but he also still had that like okada credibility um so it was just like a great match that needed kind of a more compelling like last five minutes to be like everything i wanted it to be but still, like freaking Danielson Okada. I mean, I can't complain. Yeah, I think it was still tremendous. But I, I agree with you. I think um, the crowd didn't take me out of it. But I think that, like Lou said, like if we can get this in front of a Wrestle Kingdom crowd that's less burnt out and like really invested in the two of them, like it's a completely different live experience. <laughs> yeah, like it's going to be yeah. like tremendous. But I still think that for like that issue, and then of course the unfortunate injury of. Brian breaking his arm, which it seems like it happened on um, Okada coming down on an elbow spot um, is how that happened. Super, like a total accident. But like, I didn't actually realize that Brian was hurt. Like, I thought it was weird the way he was holding his arm and he was like kicking at Okada at mm-hmm. one point. But I didn't really check that like something was tr- like truly wrong with him until like, I don't even think until the next day when I saw like everybody acting like doctors and surgeons on on Twitter about it. So that part of it is unfortunate, but like the fact that he went like an extra 10 minutes like that and just like kept going. And then like, you maybe didn't even realize that something was wrong. Oh, is just a total testament freak. to, yeah, what a freak, a total yeah. testament to what a lunatic he is then now forever. And right? it just, it's just, it's so funny comparing that to like the, the singular Tiger driver 91, like this guy wrestled with a broken arm for 10 minutes. And it's like, uh, I, Hey, I, I, I'm a sickle. I'm pro doing both. I'm pro fighting through the injury. <laughs> if you can do it and you're yeah. professional enough, you you try telling Brian that he can't go ten minutes more with a broken oh. arm. He's tried to wrestle with a with a with a horrific stinger, and they and they had yeah. to like Randy Orton was telling him like no no like you can't wrestle anymore. <laughs> if Randy Orton is telling you that you can't wrestle anymore, something's wrong. But seriously, he's uh, a little bit It ain't ending. But no, it, it was like. I'll say both, both, both Osprey and Omega and Danielson Okada, like they they delivered like two the two marquee like what you could have wanted out of them. They they did beyond like a freak accident injury, like yep. awesome two matches. So like yeah, it ended, and I I'm so glad this ended the show over Omega Osprey, even though would have like that might have been like the the more kind of high octane match. This still deserved to end it more more than. That. Well, that brings. I want to talk about two more little bits of discourse before we move into some of the more general questions we have about the rest of the presentation of it all. There were a lot of people who were saying that, like Kenny Omega, has been robbed of main eventing this this show. I do not think that the other match should have main evented over something like Brian versus 
Okada. I think that's a complete misread on what this match really signifies for an era of of wrestling. Yeah. That's that. The other thing that I want to kind of piggyback right. on you, Jason, is um, I was fascinated by the amount of people who were talking about how Okada has been humiliated and Okada has been humbled. And granted, Tospo framed this as a humiliation as well because Okada hadn't been submitted in eight years. But people have to also understand that Tospo is a gossip rag. It is like the like the New York Post of <laughs> wrestling news in Japan. Like when you pick up the paper version in Japan, there's a shitload of porn ads. Like this is what you're this is what you're reading, right? Like let's frame that correctly. Paper that's to right, right. Like I think that's like to frame, you know, something for whatever. But uh, to your point, like Okada is kind of the jumbo Saruta right now in, in New Japan and the way he's kind of pursuing these younger guys and kind of beating them back down. And I think that really works beautifully for him for where he is. But when he comes here, you know, him acknowledging that like him and Brian are on the same exact level, that's fucking fascinating for the type of ace character he is and how arrogant he is in like every other sense right he doesn't usually do the lateral like acknowledgement of you are on my level so I was really just kind of confused about how many people were leaning into like well Brian humiliated him and Brian humbled him and just sort of wondering what it is about these AEW sort of centric fans and whatever that need to (laughs) I think look at Okada as someone who has been humbled when actually Okada lost a really good professional wrestling match against someone who is his equal and will probably get to run it back and you'll probably see Okada get his win back but that wasn't the discussion we were having we were arguing about tiger drivers and (laughs) whatever else the next day a guy taps out twice in what eight years ten years like yeah I don't know how that's humiliating um I was lucky enough to miss all of this discourse, but I imagine it's the same kind of people who were saying like Taito Kiyomiya was humiliated by losing to Okada, essentially, which is, it's essentially the same thing. And it's, I can't make sense of it. I mean, it's a, it's, it's, it's a work. It's wrestling. (laughs) People are looking at this through a lens of like weird shoots. I don't know what is going on, but it is pro wrestling. What are we doing here? I I don't, it's, uh, I think a lot of this discourse comes down to like people just want something to get likes on Twitter and leaning in th- into that kind of direction will get you likes. And that's, that's all it is. I was literally just that like, people just have to, tweet something right if if okada could maybe could have lost in a different way but like say okada does beat danielson then 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 the discourse is well tony khan got you know yeah right right. japan right he lost his two so right it would flip it would flip it's 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 like i almost like when osprey won that, you know you're predicting the card it's like okay danielson's almost definitely gonna win just because yeah. like i mean it's not fun to know that you know aspect of the business but it's like this is how shit works so like i'm not gonna get i'll say fired up about it and right i don't exact if anything and okada did not even the loss it didn't feel like a humiliation it just felt like yeah like a natural like damn it he got me yeah we're gonna run it back like there, this is gonna happen again People just got tweet. <laughs> you gotta get those sweet likes and RTs when all of our tweets are being oppressed unless we buy into Elon's there, Twitter, right? There, there's, gotta... always, there, there's always gonna be something with hey, oh, this might get into the next subject. But there's always gonna be something with AEW and how 
right like that and i'll say like as someone who's i was excited about aw watched since the first show like they're right there's the aw fans but like yeah, one of the more exhausting parts of like why i just I, I just watch aew you know like i haven't and i've gone to some of their live shows i don't own an aew shirt i'm not like a huge but like you're not a stakeholder r- so. r- there we go there we go i'm not an evp it's brought out a lot of bad in wrestling fans i guess i hate reading about it like you said like during the show i i just the the reactions to it the the um you know ah oh, tk is doing this tony the whole like everyone's got like this parasocial relationship with tony khan now and everyone just that you know thinks everyone kind of sees aew as like their dream wrestling thing and so they, they view it through that prism and so they react to it in that way and mm-hmm. sometimes that's cool <laughs> but sometimes right it, it's like that you get people going you know they're they're just putting too much stock into it where it's just like it's just wrestling yeah. it's just another wrestling company you're 100 percent right like, like and it's funny because justin justin nipper has, has talked about that with me as well that like this level of like the, again the parasocial relationships like tony yeah. khan has sort yes. of introduced that a lot of that is because he's also chasing he wants to be dana white he wants to be right like, see in his right. presentation <laughs> and that that will invite a lot of behaviors and we are seeing a lot of behaviors people are uh, not gonna like Tony Khan <laughs> 10 years from now when he's like some kind of mogul of you know the industry like, well they shouldn't like him now because he's right, a right. He, he is one right now yeah, <laughs> well, right, well, yeah, yeah. Who knows what's happening you know and, and so right it's and then there's the media scrum, which just messes let's, let's let's actually talk about the media scrums because the I media scrum. I watched a little bit of this and then I had to fall asleep because um I was just done with the show. But I, I caught like the tail end of Osprey into um I guess like the start of Brian, but I just couldn't stay awake anymore. Really mm-hmm. what with the scrums, I've actually listened to them more because Russell Nomics will play parts of scrums during um their episodes. Um and that's where I've caught more of the scrums. So me and Rachel, we discuss the scrums constantly because like again, we we listen to a lot of Russell Nomics because otherwise I have no way to understand what's happening in American wrestling if I don't <laughs> listen to Russell Nomics. That's a good choice. Like it's a yeah. good prism to view it, yes. I like Brandon, so I'm just I just listen to my WrestleNomics podcast occasionally. They also had Tony on recently, which was utterly fascinating for a uh, lesson in how to not answer a question. <laughs> so yeah, so with with these scrums in particular, where we were talking about fan reporters and podcasters, and just these things are open to the general public. We wanted to talk about just like with you guys, like how do you feel about anyone that wants to be on these media calls and attend these scrums, like just being able to go. Um, we've talked about what this means for the ethics of reporting and the quality of the questions asked and people sometimes, um, having to become part of like little bits and angles with the wrestlers when they're there, which comes across very uncomfortable to me. So yeah, like, tell me your thoughts on this open door policy. Would you guys attend a media scrum? All the trash that I'm about to talk about this media scrum will go away if I were to be invited to a media scrum, just (laughs) because I'm just a stupid wrestling fan. Um, but um no these i'm, I'm joking Th- these can go away i don't they they, they to, in my opinion they i would rather take a worked completely worked press conference yes. yeah i'll something that like the wwf used to do in the 80s with like you know guy like i don't know qt marshall in a mask asking a question or something over whatever these are 
the the original ones were cool. Of course, the the punk one kind of broke the the the, the mold. But like, they just propagate all this dumb discourse we're talking about. They do nothing. They don't answer anything. They just propagate more of the dumb conversation, and they just start problems. Um, and right, you get cool for you know honestly cool for the reporters that are in there and get to ask questions and be a part of it like that but but it's almost like that's a cool thing as a fan it's i I don't want to watch it like it does nothing for me like really and maybe that's i'm unique in that way but like it does nothing to add to the entertainment it does nothing to reflect on the show and it does nothing really to build to the next like show they just become it's like the a Met, the Met Gala, of like, where just like people go there, they get. It's like, what, why did this all happen? What was this for? Um, so yeah, not 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 a big fan. But hey, if AEW if you want to invite any of us, I mean, I you know, I'll sit there. I might not ask a question, but it's, just be a no, body I, in the room. Good. It'd be fun. Yeah. Just, but yeah, I it really I agree. It, they're uncomfortable is the word for it. Fully agree. I mean, like good good for Bix. But like, um, good for Bix, but I would, I agree with Jason. I would make these like fully worked. Like I would remove the, the actual journalists. I would almost do like a, like the, like the Japanese wrestling backstage comments. I would do like, like a, like a amplified version of that with like fake journalists where they they would just do storylines and, I think it would be a much better version than what is essentially now just a discourse machine, just putting out bullshit and amplifying discourse in the worst possible ways. So yeah, I just get rid of it or make it fully worked. Sorry, Dix. Yeah, sorry to everyone. I, like, even sorry the, to everyone. Even the worst questions, like I, I don't know, like. Be better actors because like there's always there's that's why it's uncomfortable because when you're asking these questions like you see like you know whatever the wrestling media journalists etc like there's like this kind of wry smile in them it's like oh we're all a part of it and it's just again cool for everyone in the room i'm a little jealous maybe but like also this isn't good for wrestling (laughs) no and i think it all speaks to the fact that like we don't actually have there's maybe a, a and I mean a handful. I mean, like you can count on one hand the amount of people I would consider true wrestling media. Right. Otherwise, these things reveal that we don't actually have um it's wrestling a total media. mockery of something that's already yeah. like, ridiculous. No, it's already <laughs> absurd. And then you have um it reveals the lack of of true ethics. And it also again, like it speaks to like th- like these exist because Tony Khan wants to feel like the UFC, he wants to feel like Dana White. Yeah. Yes. And that yeah when when these go poorly which is how you end up with brawl out yeah you feel like the worst shitty parts of ufc which is why i can't watch ufc anymore so yeah in, in these ways they don't they don't work and um this is also i'm talking very generally i'm not speaking about anyone in particular but i noticed with this forbidden door thing there was a, a zillion people from a zillion different um little websites and organizations that they were going to like the meet and greets to meet the wrestlers. They were tweeting about the event just like I was tweeting about the event, like very much as a fan, because I am a fan of wrestling and I will never ever be this. I don't want to go. I don't want to do this. Um, I'm a fan of wrestling. That's how I talk about wrestling. So they're tweeting about it. Like, like I am like a fan of wrestling, but then they're going to the scrum and they're asking a question, but you just did the fan experience. And now you're, now you're a reporter. I have like I don't know if if my train of thought is necessarily um maybe 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 you guys would disagree with me. I have a problem with that ethically. I I do too. Cause, well, there 
I do too. There's a while also like there's just not many equivalents to this because like 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 it's sports, you know, like real sports. <laughs> like even like and UFC was is kind of that bridges that example. Like okay, you see a guy you go, oh, that was a cool slam dunk, and then he goes and asks a question of like you know the basketball player after the game. Okay, maybe there's something there, but here it's like they're asking too many business questions. I got maybe that's what it is. Like they're not like there's just no good like answer in wrestling because you're not going to go out there and be like, Hey, Kenny Omega, what, what right. moves would you use differently? To, to well, you're, no, you're totally right. Cause you're not going to ask questions that reveal quote unquote, the business. You're not going to be like, explain right. to me, walk me through your character's decisions when you do this, this and that. <laughs> you're not no going to ask Mark questions. So you can't do that. But I do think that like the only questions I ever appreciate are when Brandon Thurston from WrestleNomics is there or when you're when you have John Pollock in the room, because I think he does tend to ask better questions, but they approach it from the standpoint of like being uh, like they try to follow things ethically, like they're not tweeting about this stuff necessarily as fans, even if they do enjoy the things that they watch sometimes like that's where to your point, like it was very uncomfortable watching Tony Storm completely in character but also like really doing this poorly um like she was just there to be like a heel to these people trying to ask her legitimate questions right. about it, stuff but also the questions were were just too long it was also poor poorly done and then it's like well we're not learning anything and this looks and sounds like absolute garbage like no wonder no one could take like no one could take wrestling seriously because of shit like this well exa- exactly right and that right you have talked casual no casual fans like it and i can't even watch it i'm like the most like obsessed wrestling <laughs> you know i i tune this out i can't do this so it's i'm not exactly so media scrums thumbs down yeah just, we're, or, we're saying big fat re, no to the media scrums re, just reformat i don't know like i i would almost be charmed by like a a fake a blatantly fake press yeah but that's that's sure. what like um you know like when we watch uh japanese pro wrestling like we just saw for um, one night right. dream noah's one night dream like we just saw a great presser and like the the, the main event of that presser was uh katsuhika nakajima and kento miyahara like they did this great like totally in kayfabe thing and then um kento slapped uh katsuhiko which was like a kayfabe we slap we're moving, we're moving. But, Yes, but like that still is like you're you're getting set up for what you're going to be watching, and it works really well. We're not going to do a post fight press if they ever move to a post fight presser model. I would just lose my fucking mind. I'll hear about it in Tospo the next day. We don't need to hear from you on a, on a camera right after. I think it's just such a bad look, and it's also how you end up with something like brawl out. So I right the UFC yeah, yeah. model of it all makes sense, I guess, because of the that's quote unquote real fighting, right? But the hook there is that the setups to those fights tend to be more pro wrestling sometimes than pro wrestling, <laughs> well, but they do it better. <laughs> so it. Just... There's too much complexity in like these very, yeah, d- things that should be just dumb and simple. And mm-hmm. hence you get the scrum. Sorry for screaming about the scrums, but like I've just apparently oh, had a lot hey. of thoughts about the scrum. <laughs> hey, scrum, scrum, AEW media scrums get people fired up famously. Yes. Um, <laughs> I should have a muffin and whatever the fuck he was drinking that night, right? <laughs> things happen yeah my gosh all right so let's um any more thoughts about uh about scrums before we move on to our summer of togetherness spot here let's let's get to the summer let's let's move it let's, yeah let's, let's move it to exactly. the summer In the scrum. <laughs> lou says we're done so we're moving on so 
we discussed this during our episode on um, All Together Again, Kickouts episode on that. But on June 9th, New Japan Global put out a tweet with graphics from All Together Again, Forbidden Door, Fantastica Mania, and Hiromu's USA Junior All-Star Festival, which is happening in Philly in August. Um, the caption listed all the companies involved in these events and said, Welcome to the summer of togetherness. Um, our previous discussion talked about New Japan fashioning itself as a hub of collaborations across different companies. Forbidden Door is a huge part of that agenda. So what are your thoughts around this like very specific branding of the summer of togetherness? And I know that a lot of people credit Tony Khan for the collaborations between companies like AEW and New Japan, but like, what are your thoughts here? Like who, who really is like the owner of this summer of togetherness? I don't know who's the actual owner, but I will say that this year with New Japan doing this whole interpromotional openness thing, uh, that's been the most interested I've been in watching New Japan in a long, long time. Uh, it feels fresh and not just with the All Elite Wrestling thing, but the with everything they've been doing with Noah. Um it's I think it's a good look for them. They've been like even before the pandemic happened, you could feel them spinning their wheels a bit and going through the motions a bit. And I think doing this whole interpromotional shtick is a good step forward for them. Uh, even stuff like having like these uh, things like Yuma Anzai is in the N1. All of this stuff is really cool, I think. And it's... Um, I think it goes back to like the golden age of like 90s Japanese wrestling when you yeah. would see just a lot more of that. Uh, and it feels like uh, a good place to be. I'm into it. I, I think that's your, your question of who owns it. That's like a, nobody. It, it feels like a little bit. I, I like it. It's cool. Although I also don't think anyone like New Japan definitely not Tony Khan, but like no one has like a full enough grasp of power to make anything like amazing of it beyond like the occasional, like where it does come together, like forbidden door or something. Mm -hmm. I think it is cool. I'm also just like, I don't know. I feel like, especially since like COVID, like wrestling contracts are just weird. I, and I don't like <laughs> who's affiliated with who, but I, I like it as a, you know, concept. Everyone can wrestle for different promotions, but like, I also like, like junior heavyweights worldwide, that like who's affiliated with who and JPW strong. Is that really new Japan? Like it's cool, but also like what's canon, that kind of thing. Um, but like one off stuff, like the Noah versus new Japan stuff, like that's frick, love it. Just like the best. So more stuff like that, I'm all for it. But yeah, I don't know, like, it's just, yeah, it's more neat. Um, I guess my only other thought would be, it, it doesn't, I feel like um, these companies all aligning, maybe for like a few years ago, it felt more like kind of like going after WWE a little bit, as in like, oh, WWE wants this international expansion. We're going to fight back against it. I almost feel like now they're just like, hey, I think WWE did back off. So let's just let's just get let's together. Just have fun. <laughs> well, let's roll. Per per WrestleNomics, Lou and I talked about this like two in recent memory. 
It was like when they were in the era of not having Vince around, there was all this rumbling around like, well, no, we're going to actually pursue expansion again. Uh And then everybody started to get very nervous because when that gets said, everyone starts to freak out about what's going to happen to all Japan because they're very vulnerable. But when Vince entered the picture again, now no one is talking about like these plans to expand because the plans like were announced by Stephanie and they were hinged around Stephanie's like plans and vision this and whatever so that went away so now we're no longer talking about it's, it, it definitely doesn't feel like wwe is like a a worry right now it feels more like their concern is still dealing with issues around coming back from the loss of ticket sales and the loss of like yes. fan attendance from the pandemic which is really what all together again was meant to be about i think that's why we're seeing the togetherness at least in japan i don't know how to square western part of it because i think that what's important to keep in mind with the companies in japan all of them have different ideas of what success is in the west so noah's goals are not new japan's new japan's goals are not all japan's etc so like that's the part that i can't square and figure out what exactly they want to accomplish so we're saying vince mcmahon is saving japanese wrestling by (laughs) keeping That's all. That's pretty much always been the thing. As long as he can keep Hunter in check and we don't have Stephanie around, we're good. Son of a god in this business. Uh no, that that all that all that all tracks. And also like I feel like the, the like the Lucha Libre involvement is always like like I, yeah, like Lucha's just so weird. It feels like like yeah, they're a part of this, but like it also could just be like marketing, like it never feels like consistent enough that like everyone's like working together. Like I don't even remember if Omega's still like the triple a mega he has um he has that match coming up with is it vikingo yeah 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 yeah. he has that coming up i i believe and i want to say i want to plug cubs fan aka lucha blog um and also um rob viper so like they are like the lucha guys if you like are interested in following lucha you have to be following the both of them i also think that they do like the most like incredible work and then get no credit for it and then cubs gets ripped off constantly um yes. for what don't, he reports don't listen to me about getting a status with, with AAA <laughs> <Yeah. anybody. laughs> maybe jason's not our lucha guy but um those two guys however are and um i i think cubs has tweeted about this like how tony's talking about like wanting to do more stuff with lucha but like whenever that's that comes up we don't actually see um any of the lucha companies kind of brought in in a meaningful way right. um lucha yeah. is its own sort of like uh lucha is incredible and like there's a lot of interesting politics and issues that you know come up like just like anywhere like japan has its own issues in politics so does mexico um but people don't actually uh, uh there's a lot of issues of like the companies don't know how to include lucha but the fans don't know how to include lucha either on this side of it so that's that's my soapbox stance but go follow cubs fan and also rob viper agreed 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 cool legends that's Seriously. right they, they, um, opened, all right. they opened the forbidden door before before many others. <laughs> they have opened many, many forbidden doors. Um, <laughs> all right. So let's see. Our last sort of question here, I guess on a less serious note, what are crossovers that you guys are actually interested in seeing in the future? Like we are getting a lot of exciting stuff. We're kind of waiting to see what like Hiromu's All-Star Festival is going to shape out to be in Philly. But what are um, some stuff that you guys would actually like to see? I think there is so much. I I want New Japan to do more with every other company. They have been such a stubborn company for so long. They they have a a solid, if not stubborn, roster. I want to see more versus AEW. I want to see them work more with Noah. I want to see more of those shows. 
um, and stuff maybe with a little more meat. Um, there was the recent All Together show, and those are cool, but it's usually like those become like like six man kind of fests. Whereas I'm thinking back to like New Japan versus Noah and like uh, the Junior Feud when Liger invaded Noah in like 2002. Like I want some heat. I want some you know some and I there might be some of that going on right now that I'm missing, but like. I want more of that from New Japan, but like all over Japan um, and just more like big. I mean, hey, if WWE cannot be like douchebags, they could probably have a fun put together a fun card in New Japan, but that's probably way far off. Um, but like just more of this, honestly, like this is also so fresh, um, more forbidden door, more New Japan working with other companies. Summer of togetherness. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> I guess to keep it like uh, Forbidden Door centric, the crossover that I'd like to see more of is Takeshita and New Japan guys. So like they they teased us with Takeshita and Ishii, but also I think it was last week there was some sort of Twitter tease of Takeshita and Shingo. <laughs> so if yeah. we can get that match. I'm I'm in like that sounds amazing but just in general I don't know if it's a political minefield or what but just more Takeshita and New Japan I think there's some huge huge potential there uh let's get more of that yeah him and Okada let's do it can you imagine big title challenge next year let's do it there are a lot of dream Takeshita matches to be sure. Um, I guess I'm kind of a downer in that I, I just don't watch a lot of American wrestling anymore. And so for me, the the collaboration points are not necessarily to have like a Noah AEW collab, mm-hmm. but I would love to see, like you brought up Liger, Jason. I would like to see the way that NXT used Liger, right? I would like to see Mara Fuji used in AEW like that. I don't need to see an entire card of Noah AEW. I think my my head would explode if I had to sit through that. But I think that if we just had, because Mara Fuji, like, you know, his 25th anniversary is coming up, whatever. He deserves Um, that, Ron. He's one of the only guys that hasn't had that American. He stayed in Noah because he had, not not just because he had to, but like he also had to, right? Um, So he never got to do the things that I think he probably would have done if circumstances hadn't changed after Misawa passed away and he got thrust into having to be the face of the company and keep the company going and what have you. He had, had said at one point that he was jealous that Kenta got to go and experience these things, even if we know it didn't work out for Kenta the way that they had envisioned, right? So for me, it would be really meaningful to have Marfuji come over and actually get like that legend treatment and come out and have like the big pop and like come down the ramp, do whatever. I think that would be really nice. I like that the the mini cameos, that would be a better, yeah, versus some big WWE New Japan Supercard. But like bring, I don't even, yeah, Hiromu, horrible example. But like just to do a cameo on a show and just more of that. Like just, hey, we don't have an obvious match this week. Let's just do something cool. Like, yeah, just, and I do like that's for the summer of togetherness. I don't know if it, yeah, is going to work in any like, actual angle but right these occasional like little fly-ins hey love it more more, please because yeah wrestling companies can get boring (laughs) (laughs) bring bring, bring others in that's fine 
Super, super fair. So any other last minute thoughts before we sort of close out here on AEW's Forbidden Door? It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on my first, I hope, of of future many kickout podcasts. But no, um, just, yeah, t- tone it down, AEW. No more media scrums, tighten it up. <laughs> but <laughs> still, it was it was a very fun show with a lot of good wrestling. Well, that's, that's always... That's what we're here for. Yeah, I feel about the same. Like the there there were a few issues, but overall a very fun show, a lot of good matches. Uh yeah, we got a few, we got some Chris Benoit tributes somewhere in there, but overall, like good wrestling show. Yeah, Chris Benoit side. Um, it was a show. <laughs> it's <laughs> always wrestling. rare in his head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It was a show and wrestling took place on it. And we and we did get some pretty incredible moments. Like I, I really can't undersell um or whatever the word would be at this point, um, what the experience of like an Okada versus Brian was was like. Mm-hmm. I thought that was yeah, really just the bell ringing. Seriously. Yeah, just, just... just the bell ringing in their entrances. Like that was really um special, even with the issues of Brian like breaking his arm. Like we don't often get to see matches like that. So if even if you just tune in for something like that it's it's super special so yeah thank you both so much for joining me again i'm alicia and you can find me at sure kai with two eyes or me and rachel at kickout 299 um over on twitter if you are enjoying our content please leave us a five star um review on your uh, preferred podcast platform we'd really appreciate it and if you guys want to just plug yourselves um one last time let people know where they can find you that would be awesome as well Yep, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Captain Lou Japan, and you can read my reviews at uh, casualwrestlingland.com. Always happy to be here. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. Happywrestlingland.com is the correct domain. And I sometimes write there. I'm on Twitter at 1053 Ridge. And it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for thank you for having us. Thank you both so much, and we'll talk to you guys soon.